Cool. All right, we're live. So, welcome to Experience Understanding Podcast. I'm Aaron Kessler, and this is Zach Mortimer. Is that uh, okay? So, you and I are still getting to know each other. Uh, is it Mortimer? Is that the correct pronunciation? Mortimer, or at least that's how I've always said it. I don't know. What, what, three <laughs> I didn't make it up. Focusing like that, Mortimer or Mortimer? Mortimer. That's Mortimer. how I would normally what does it say mean? it. If you go back etymologically, it would be a Mortmere, which is a place in England, but basically would be Mort would be death, and Mere would be like a swamp. So it means like death swamp, and it, it ain't that glorious. But uh-huh. the cool thing about it is that uh, a really notable person was from Mort Lake, which is functionally a Mortmere, which was John D. And like he, his estate was at Mort Lake and stuff like that. So that's an interesting connection. I always thought it was totally. like I used to joke around in my head with it. It was like more timer, and I, you know, like kind of this like uh, whatever, like like I would live forever complex, or like I would at least have more time sure. than other people. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Totally interesting. <laughs> What's uh? So where did you grow up, or what? What was your like upbringing? Uh, like- I grew up until I was eight in like southern arizona tucson and then moved to a place called like the tri-cities washington richland yeah which is it's like southeastern washington it's not that glorious has nuclear reservation and chemical weapons depot and such and that's why really anybody lives there and nevertheless lived there for what was that until 27 i think 27 yeah 27 28 and then like a gypsy. So, but basically as far as like growing up was, you know, Arizona, younger, like bad part of Arizona, mom real broke, single mom and such. So like shitty part of Tucson, South side Tucson and like yeah. single wide trailer worth like 57 cents or something probably in like a real trashy trailer park, you know, real, real, real yeah. nice. So nevertheless, then like mm-hmm. we moved to Washington for a better life than lived in between like to the north of us was a nuclear reservation and to the south of us was a chemical weapons depot. But my mom made more money. So yeah, I guess that was, now we had a double wide and we lived in a nicer trailer park. Right on. <laughs> hey safety's key man i imagine that also means you got you got a higher class of people than comparatively so it's probably safer sort of no sort of sort of what yeah. okay what was the community like without stereotypes or whatever because obviously you lived it i didn't like what was the actual community it was real like random it was it was real random i mean you you weren't like i mean you weren't in the ghetto you know like it wasn't really the ghetto it was more ghetto than it really well, it operated more ghetto than it really was because a lot mm-hmm. of the mentality there was trying to be something that it wasn't. You know what I mean? Yeah. So, like, yeah. well, like, I lived in West Richland, and the main neighborhood in West Richland was called, like, the Brotherhood. And, uh-huh. I mean, it, it actually ha- it has some weird history to how it started or something, like, that has to do with, like, a bunch of segregation. I don't really remember what it is, but it has some weird history. And, nevertheless, like, we hung around there and it was like, you know, very cliquish and we were rebels and, you know, we skateboarded and caused problems and, you know, stuff like yeah, that. Yeah. And, you know, there, there was very much so like, a, you know, like bad things going on around the area. Like there is in pretty much any area that has enough people. 
And, mm -hmm. you know, very much so, I guess I kind of like personally gravitated towards that stuff. Just like I, mostly out of like rebellious spirit. Like I didn't want to do what I was supposed to do. That's <laughs> like I just mm -hmm. did the opposite of what I was supposed to do pretty much when I was younger. I had a pretty, pretty bad guidance system probably. But, you know, that's pretty much what I did though anyways. So like, yeah, I mean, it, Wait, wasn't, it wasn't like a very you... nice place, but it was people had more money you... than you should, but they did stupid shit with the money still. So, yeah. Uh, based on based on what you said, being rebel or having a bad guidance system, like so, what you know, obviously knowing what you know now and self reflection and your own psychology and upbringing, like well, how would you describe that now? The path that you were on versus a path now that's more guided and less rebellious a, in the same ways or something. In a certain way, I like okay. So there's ways where now it's not so much maybe about like rebelling and there's a choice between it. But I was still very much so doing, like, the thing that I wanted to do. And the people that I gravitated towards, like, I loved them. They were great. I still do. Like, I still talk to tons of people from back then. And, like, uh, there's so many people that I like from, you know, like, from southeastern Washington, for instance. But, like, I, I mean, I ended up moving away after my mom died and just, like, went and did other stuff. And I've never really landed anywhere again to be honest. Yeah. And so like, I mean, I still love all of these people, but as I was already doing what I wanted to do, but a lot of what I wanted to do was just very counterculture. Then like yeah. after, after my mom died, it was really more like, I guess like I, the, like I want, I felt like I needed to do something with my life. And that started like kicking in all of a sudden when my mom died, but I didn't really know like, like what I wanted to do with my life. I really just like had yeah. no idea. I had thought about it for tons of time, but I just really didn't know what I cared to accomplish. One thing I knew that I was like super psyched on in the moment was climbing rocks. Like I hadn't done it in my life, but I had watched like tons of videos and I was like such an armchair climber. I was so psyched on the idea of this. And it was really like drawing me, you know what I mean? So yeah. after my mom died, I'm like, what are you going to do, dude? Are you going to like just get a job here and just live here? Are you going to like go do something with you? Like, what are you going to do? And I was just like, nah, I guess I'll just go climb rocks. Like, I don't know what to do. Like I have, I have yeah. money. I have, I have a car that I could go do that in. Like the girl I was together with at that point in time, she was psyched on the idea as well. And you know, she was super cool and super supportive of it. And like helped through my mom's death a bunch of ways. And in a certain way, I was like, you know, we've been doing it so serious for like nine months trying to help my mom with this shit. Like, let's just go like have fun. Right. And totally. so when I started doing that, but then just like never landed anywhere again. So like guide, like the guidance thing, I think I was always guided by what I wanted to do, you know? Yeah. yeah. But what I wanted to do before, I just really didn't know what I wanted to make of myself. And so I just, I just knew like, I didn't want to be the same as everybody else. So I gravitated a lot towards like doing stuff other people weren't doing. You know what I mean? Yeah, totally. Interesting. Yeah. So, um, okay. And then with climbing, I know we've talked about that a little bit before. So how did climbing become something more than just like a recreational activity to you? Like, what did you find in that, that you found deeper meaning in or experience? I mean, even when I, like, when I, okay, when I went beyond just, like, watching videos of it, I was, I mean, there's, inside of climbing culture at this time, there was very much, so like, this idealized person 
that was like the dirt bag, right? Like they just dedicated their life to climbing. They went, they like lived in their car and they just climbed all the time. And I had all the stuff mm-hmm. to facilitate that and knew that I could live that way for a while. So like, I just wanted to go and be that, you know what I mean? And yeah. so I was already in this mindset that like, it's not really going to be like a recreational activity. It's going to be like the centralized point of what I do with my life. Right. And yeah. I really didn't know why that was. I just was like, what are you going to do? Stay here and like get another job and play video games and like, eh, what's going to happen? Or are you yeah. going to like go do something? So I decided to go do something. And that was the only thing that really yeah. was drawing me at that point in time. So, you know, like on a deeper level, it definitely like I already understood the concepts of yoga and as kind of the idea that really just a yoga is really like any kind of action can be understood as a yoga really. So climbing very much so became functionally a yoga for me, like a way that I was integrating my thoughts and my body through the use of my breath and the balance of my mind and so just through a lot of climbing, it really felt like doing a yoga, just like a ton though. I mean like a, a ton, like imagine if you just like quit your life and started doing yoga for like eight to 12 hours a day, six days a week. And on the seventh day you like rested so that you could do the other six days. You know what I mean? That's like all you did. Totally. That's like, all you did. Yeah. You did that. You ate, you slept. You did that. You ate, you slept. You know what I mean? Like cool. yeah. that was just the cycle because like, I didn't really know what I wanted to do with my life. I was having fun climbing rocks. We were meeting cool people. It was working out. We had the money to do it. It was fun. Nothing was stopping us from doing it. So we just like kept doing it. You know what I mean? Now, like I did, I like came back through the Tri-Cities for a little while, like the first summer. And I didn't really know what, like where to go. Cause like, it was like a weather thing. Like everywhere was hot anyways. And I didn't really know a good spot at that point in time. I hadn't like, well, really honestly, I just hadn't learned the good places at that point in time. Cause I was, I was like, whatever like six months into really doing this you know what i mean yeah. like i knew some good places to go but i didn't know there's really like a circuit that people run that yeah. live that lifestyle really and you'd very much so follow the weather so like i didn't know really those places and like also, well in many ways like i also wanted to like play video games and i still had like certain parts of my old life that like i kind of wanted to do again so we like chilled out in the tri-cities again for like that summer you know what i mean but then it was just like yeah I was still like, oh, like the whole thing, whole time I'm thinking like, okay, I ought to get back to climbing and these things. And it was like very important to me to progress myself through that at that point in time. And so I guess there is a place where it like changed, right? But it was already pretty serious from the beginning just because I had like no idea what else I was doing. So I was like, I'll go climbing all the time. So it went from like zero to like 99 volume and then maybe got turned up to 100 later. You know what I mean? So, right. Well, that, that seemed to work out for you. Uh, in, the so we got, in, in the amount that it did, there was a point in time that, well, okay. So like I had set a goal in my mind that was like an impossible goal and I reached that impossible goal, even though like, it's not the hardest thing you can do in climbing by any stretch of the imagination. It's just like, I never thought I would do that when I first started climbing. I was like, if I can ever get to yeah. get to that, that's amazing. And I thought I was setting like a goal that was like I was shooting for the stars, right? But it ended up not apparently being the stars. But once I did that, the time that it aligned with, like it was about, it was like time that I should probably be getting a house and stuff. And hey, white crow wing. And uh, 
it was time that I should probably get in the house anyways. I was like getting low on money. I needed to figure out something that was actually sustainable. I wasn't making any money living, sitting around climbing all the time. So like that happened at the same time that it was like the time to get a house basically. And so I ended up like being like, whoa, that makes sense. Like it's time it's synchronistic. I'm going to like put the rest of my money towards like having a position where I can get myself set for the future. So I went towards that. And yeah. I really don't think that was the best choice for my life in a certain way. Hey, Willow, it's okay. super good to see you again. I hope you're doing good too. So yeah. like just because I did that out of practicality entirely and things were going really good because I had been like just totally just like following what I wanted to do. And then I kind of mm. made a dramatic shift towards practicality and oddly enough like three weeks after getting that house and I, I put like a bunch of money like I, I didn't want them to ask me any questions or, or any of this I wanted a house now I saw the one that I wanted and I just came in there and I was like here's like $9,200 in cash I want you to call the person that owns that and ask if I can just put this down on rent right now and like we'll just like I'm good for a long time is that cool mm -hmm. and he's like he didn't want to do it because he's trying to sell the house and he's like well I'll call him right and they were like shit yeah he's got 9200 cash right now you know what I mean yeah. so of course they took That's it talk. right and yeah. so like the next day I was like in the house you know what I mean but then three weeks later I go out to go climbing by myself and I get like a fucking heinous back injury not like from a fall or anything like everything went successfully i got down from the boulder sat down on my pads and shit and all of a sudden just like stabbing pain through my chest stabbing pain through my chest arms going numb can't breathe kind of think i'm having a heart attack i'm like in the middle of yeah. the forest by myself with like a bunch of stuff and both my dogs and all this stuff yeah Nevertheless, uh, after a after a little bit, it finally uh, like it passed enough that I was like, I'll give it a shot and try and walk away. But like, I had all this stuff to carry. Took me like fifteen minutes to get back to my car from somewhere that really you could probably get back to the car for like five minutes because I had you know I'd driven pretty close to the spot where I was anyways. And yeah. nevertheless, like had to drive myself back. But like like from that injury. It literally had like stabbing pain to breathe for like the next three and a half months. So uh. before, before even like every breath wasn't a stabbing pain. And then there was like many months after that before I was really like doing anything. So yeah. like this shut my life down, dude. <laughs> like it shut my life down basically. So what um, with you, uh, we talked about yesterday too, everything being related to the psyche. Where do you think all that stemmed from or came from? interestingly enough the vertebrae that shifted is the one that's like perfectly in line with the heart and it's so interesting because it's like the problem is the opposite side from my heart and it's right in line with my heart so and it's yeah. totally to my mind because i stopped following my heart right so it's yeah. like it, that one particularly really actually in a certain way that kind of sparked my interest in like are these physiological things like really psyche based because like right. I saw this happen you know what I mean right. and no so I must say also the more I follow my heart the less my back hurts now because still like if you feel my spine like there's a there's a vertebrae out of place like it's a it's wow. actually a problem you know what I mean so yeah. but it 
like if I'm not following my heart and I'm doing like shit I don't want to be doing every morning yeah. I'll wake up with like heinous backaches have to stretch for like 30 minutes 45 minutes like or it will just wow. hurt all day even if I don't do that and like for yeah. instance like the last like five days of my life like I woke up and like that's the last thing on my mind actually this is the first time I've even thought about the idea that maybe my back would hurt for like days Ooh. right now because like yeah. I've really been just like ever since I like got into this idea, like I was going to go back into like musical stuff and things like it just really like blossomed a whole thing out. Like that was like all the water that like some kind of Lotus needed to like bloom all weird. It's been quite kind of a weird experience in my life, but nevertheless, it's been really like heart driven and really organic and what I want to do. And like, I'm not having to spend time doing what I have to do. And, and yeah. it's been like very, very good. But like, tons of energy no back problems my i've had like a foot injury which is also directly aligned to psyche things like that's got a perfect correlation too with everything that goes around it but what is it that my foot had been hurt i mean it's had a problem for weeks now like i tore ligaments or broke it or something i don't know i don't i don't go to the doctor because the doctor can't really help me anyway i can't help myself that's my belief so i don't really go to the guy if i had like a compound fracture or something i was bleeding out from my leg maybe you'd find me at the hospital but besides that probably not gonna happen so nevertheless like it was definitely pretty screwed up using crutches doing all the things elevated I live with a, a great physical rehabilitationist. So they're working on my foot like every night. You know what I mean? Like mm -hmm. all these things are being done. But over the last five days, it's mm -hmm. gone from like, I don't think there's a problem with it anymore, but I can't really use it to like, I bet you tomorrow I'll be walking normal because today I'm like real close to normal, but the progression has been yeah. like super fast, you know? And it's really yeah. weird. Like I'm literally like, because I'm not, there was all kinds of things it's, it's my left foot and very much so in this kind of idea like left is left foot injury in this case would mean that like things in my past are holding me back from moving like from traveling right so mm -hmm. i'm holding on to something in my past inhibitions of doing things uh worries about trying new stuff like uh or like attachments to relationships or bonds like you could go all into psychic bonds and ancestral cords and you could do whatever metaphor you want for this. Right. Any of yeah. this stuff, something about that is holding me back from the thing that I actually want to be. I'm trying to move forward to it. I'm restricted, get the left foot injury because I'm not noticing those cords anyways. But there's been like a lot of like cord cutting stuff that's been done on a whole bunch of different levels, right? Like whether it's yeah. just, well, like distancing myself from certain relationships that I was spending time with in my life just putting less mm -hmm. time into that. So I like, can put more time into like the thing I want to be doing and the thing that will like get me a result and things like this. Cause I was spending a lot of time on relationships with other people and not enough on like relationship with myself, for instance, you know what I mean? Right. So it, it's totally makes perfect sense to me that it's getting like better very quickly while I'm letting go of those things and allowing myself to like really move into the future that I actually want to make for myself more. You know what I mean? Right. Do you feel like, um, so when you get injured in some way, shape or form, when you, especially not going to the doctor and sometimes things are bad and they can last for days or the pain can last for days. Um, do you always then, instead of thinking about, and there's obviously ways to do visualizations for healing of the body, mapping out the body, looking at the body, but are you always looking more so instead of healing the physical pain, finding the connection to the psyche and your own psyche? 
Uh, well, okay, so it's like yes and yes. You know what I mean? Like, I, yeah, I, yeah, I, yeah, I think, like, it. always in always, right? Like, so if you have a physiological problem, you also have, probably have a psychological issue and a psyche-based issue behind it. So you can approach that then on the physiological level, the psychological level, and the psyche-based level. You know what I mean? And it's best to just, like, yeah. go after it always, you know? So if you have a physical pain, like, I'm not into like painkillers, pharmaceuticals, stuff like that. And like, there's not really any like plants or anything like that that I engage with. They're like really big painkillers. I do think there's a huge value in like bringing down swelling. So I do use like anti-inflammatories sometimes, but well, always plants first if plants aren't enough because it's actually like something major or more major. This should all be prefaced by like, I've been very blessed with my health. I haven't had major issues like a broken foot like ranks up there on my issues i'm not some like chronic pain patient or something like that like there's a lot with that seek the help you need you know what i mean like but i haven't had it that tough really but the things that i've gone through i've been able to deal with on my own i have like i think that there's a reason why i've been very healthy though you know so and that is and so I try, I try to approach it on all levels. Well, really, because, like, I, I mean, I had a good mom, and so I didn't really end up with, like, a lot of psychological trauma or conditioning that a lot of people would. She was a very conscious person. She did a lot of work towards that, that she was very objective with me. She was very, like, the thing that so much that my mom taught me, I was, like, the most important things. Like, I still use it all the time to this day. Like, I can't find a single hole in it. Like, she already had a lot of the solutions for me. She guided me that way. She was like, I mean, really, I think she was too mothering, right? Like, I think she was too good of a mother. I think she should have been a better herself and not worried about me as much. But, like, That's I true, benefit yeah. from her really, like, caring about me because she was really conscious about what she was doing. And, like, but good about it, too, because she really, like, she gave me the space to be myself. But, like really was like there when like I really needed help she was there with it you know what I mean and more so than yeah. teaching me what to do she was really focused around teaching me how to learn you know so like even yeah, if I totally. came to my mom with a very direct question like how do I do this she'd be like here's how you figure out how to do this <laughs> right like she wouldn't tell me how to do it she would tell me how to cool. figure out how to do it and then leave me to do it basically so like because she she personally believed that like me being able to learn was more important than like what she could teach me. You know what I mean? Yeah. So okay, that was okay. Very... Here's a cool subject. Wait, you said you, there's a ton of stuff she's taught you. So tell tell the audience and people in the chat. Hello, we have uh, I think six viewers. Great. Feel free to say hi in the chat or participate in the conversation. Uh, we let pull people in and engage. Uh, but so with your mom. Um, what are some things that stand out to you, a handful of things or a couple of things that your mom taught you that have affected your whole life or you use to this day? The primary, my, like my mom hated assumptions. Like it was a problem. I mean, this is one way. <laughs> it was a problem. Okay. Like if you assume right, dude, stuff, no. it was a problem. So in a certain way, like I have recognized that there's not really any good place What's up, in baby? my opinion. What's up, man? There's not really any good place to assume stuff. To, to, 
still to my belief now because like you can just look for the answer right like instead of assuming recognize that there's a void in your knowledge and seek to fill that void in the knowledge with information that's actually there not just like something that you made up so the void was gone you know what i mean like there's yeah. no reason to assume so i still really really buy into the idea that like you should never assume it makes an ass out of you and me and my yeah, mom used yeah, to say this to, like, I remember my mom yep. saying this to me when I was like three years old. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, like advanced mother. Mom, <laughs> immediately, she was like, no assumptions. But in a certain way, it's because she couldn't really deal with them. Like, she definitely had her stuff. You know what I mean? But yeah, she was, Nathan, Nathan typed it out. Oh, yeah, we got banners, too. We can always type stuff in. Perfect. Thanks for typing that out. We'll throw that yeah, out there. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, uh, so, it's funny. Okay. I want to hear. Keep going. I'm gonna. I'm trying to write it down. Uh, we'll we'll jump back to it at some point. Assumptions versus intuition. But to keep going with things your mom taught you. That's actually a super interesting topic. Other I know, other I things my mom I wrote taught it down. me. I wrote it down. Yeah, other things your mom taught me. Let's go with that. I wrote the other really, one down. So the the important the importance of like continually learning over knowing. You know? like wanting yeah. to engage with learning. And so a place where a lot, like in my work and my personal relationships and just my observations of what other people are doing, that I find that like the difference is, is really like the way that they engage failing. And like I, for the longest time in my life, I just really didn't understand how they did it at all because I was totally trained to just engage failure differently by the way that my mom raised me. And once I got to a place of where I was making my own decisions, it was already like pretty habituated in me. But like, before you blow, before you blow by that, you were trained to raise or see failure differently. Elaborate. Okay, respond well, to failure differently. Really to like, instead of be afraid of failure to seek out failure as a place where you can better yourself as a place where you can learn more. And just to engage it more, well, kind of like I already touched on that it's that it's really just a place where you don't know something, so you can get more information there. It's not is you're not like a bad so person because you don't know something. You know what I mean? Like so that. How, that was never in my life. That's how your mom, yeah. So it sounds like your mom taught you that, or something to the effect of the difference between that was a bad choice or that was a, a not a good choice, but you're not a bad person. So being able to uh, learn from mistakes or things that are have negative consequences without taking an identity of being bad. Sure. I suppose there was probably some, like some of her actions must have actually been sculpted, like basically towards really doing that. If I took the time to super analyze it, but sure. a yeah. lot of it came through really just that like pointing towards like learning is really important. Learning is the thing that you're doing here. Anyways, you're always learning regardless so yeah. that was that was very helpful for me that like i didn't and i still definitely don't think i'm gonna get to some place where like i know all this stuff like i actually think it's impossible to know all this stuff functionally because like even right. what i would perceive as knowing all this stuff right now is not even close to all this stuff you know so like right. totally. i don't really think that's a thing that's gonna happen and so i like it, well i got asked by somebody the other day like you know we well, like, I, I, I want to not know. Like, I don't, I seek out not knowing. I seek out not being able to do it. I seek out the failure. And that's really, 
just like my mode of operation. And she taught that, right? Like the failure is not a bad yeah. thing. It's a place where you get better. You know? Yeah. And that engagement to failure, is, I think, well, I've come to, you know, I got all kinds of quips for everything I've done, but like, you know, that engagement with failure, like success is the, like the capstone to a mountain of failure, right? Like you have all these yeah. failures and then you finally get to this point where you're like, Ooh, boom, I'm successful. At it. Like I'm good. This is the thing, you know? So really it's about like reiterating through those failures as quickly as possible. So I'm very eager to engage them. That's just the way I've been tuned. And she yeah. tunes that by tuning the idea that like learning is really paramount. It's not really about like knowing everything. Just like keep learning shit. Yeah. If you want to know something new, learn about it. If you don't know something about something, you need to know something about it. Learn about it. Yeah. Like it was just always the answer and teach me how to learn about stuff until I had enough resources totally. to be able to do that on my own. Yeah, it's funny. Um, so my dad, <clears throat> my dad, one of the, there's a handful of things that he said to me growing up that just always really, really stuck with me. One of them was that between zero and ten, how many options are there, right? And some, you know, count the numbers nine, ten, whatever. But that there's an infinite amount of options because between one and two, there's one point one, one point zero zero one, one point zero three six, you know, like all that stuff. So yeah. reading that between the or between the reading between the lines or knowing. Like part of that just being an ingrained belief system that that literally anything is possible. Like, listen to this. This is funny. So when I was um, coming out of high school, I was really passionately uh, Christian because of my experiences. Um, it's actually a cool dynamic. I'm trying to think how much I go into that with, while staying on topic. Um, well, I was going to this, uh, the Christian school for the first time, Christian University in Kirkland, Northwest University. And it was the first time being around other like-minded people. I was with a public school before, so we'd actually pray before class. And cool, it's not like just stifled religious prayers to me. This was like organic, real. These are other just normal people that happen to be Christians too, that engage it in a way that's that part of their daily life, not just a thing they do on Sundays or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, and so to be around those people. And I remember during orientation, the uh, campus, uh, whatever, the guy who runs that and gives the, the pep talk, you're there with your parents and whatever. Um and he made a comment like uh, about the, you know, the state of mind that we're in coming into the school and back in, you know, and it, you guys remember that talking to the parents when, when you felt like you were going to change the world or you could change the world and everybody chuckled. Right. I remember in my entire being, I'm like, what the fuck is so funny? I am going to so change funny? the world. <laughs> yeah. Really? And it's like, that, why is that funny? Why is, why is that like accepted? Ah, ha, ha, people, you're going to change the world. No, you're not. You're just right. going to get beat down, get a nine to five, have two and a half kids and a white picket fence and hope you're happy. Right. <laughs> you know, it's like, that's the expectation, really? But, I, you know, I think everybody wants to be happy, but it just looks differently to everybody and we don't know what we want a lot of times. Um, but, uh, yeah, kind of that, that uh, it's just the same dynamic. That tied in somehow. Oh, things... Um, uh, how did that tie in? Things my dad told me, which is things your mom told you. Learning, failure, infinite amount of possibilities zero between zero and ten. Yeah, yeah. I don't know how connected, but there's an anecdotal story. So, <laughs> <laughs> well, I think you know at one level, and this might have been what you were talking about with those infinite amount of possibilities, like that metaphor. Even if you think you see the whole number line zero through ten there's always like another separation that you probably don't see yet, right? Like another, another compartmentalization or division that you could break it down to another precision or something. So you're like, 
one way that I look at this is that like really like all numbers are actually just an approximation, you know, like yeah. when we say that there's one of something like it's, it's never really like one, you know, it's only really like one unto itself. So especially when we get into like actually measuring stuff like, oh, it's one inch. Like how often is it exactly one inch? You know what I mean? Like, and I mean, right. exactly to the micrometer one inch, right? right? right. Like, and beyond. And how much does it matter? Actually, Right. It, it well, doesn't matter. matter. That's the thing. It doesn't matter. So it's totally good to just be like, yeah, one inch, two inches. Like, it's totally good. Yeah. And now approximation well, also, is fine. Well, and also subject to the context, right? So if you're working out machine engine parts that need to be down to the thousandth of an inch, then then the inches matter. But as general sure. rules of measurement, I guess the same as like... Um, uh, you know, seeing things from a 3D level and seeing things from a higher perspective or higher dimensional levels. So like on a the dichotomy or holding both perspectives and being able to apply them contextually. So for example, mm -hmm. if you're witnessing someone getting mugged or raped or something going on, you don't just check out of your responsibility as a human being to stop someone else from getting assaulted against their will and think to yourself a, a statement that may also be true, but in the context, it's not, not necessarily relevant. So in the, in the context or in the, an objective truth, maybe on a higher level, they chose to incarnate here and have that experience because they had what for whatever reason X Y and Z etc etc etc. So there, there's like a, well you a say you say that you don't do that and I think that you know like that's the moralistically right thing to say, but yeah, that's that enough. is just a choice that you make right like and what yeah, yeah. makes your choice to be moralistically right any better than somebody else's choice to be moralistically wrong like that's a dualistic little thing you got yeah. going on there like totally. is is it so like, actually uh, wrong or is it a thing that we have agreed as like kind of a whole it's wrong like don't get me wrong right. if somebody's like getting mugged and stuff and i'm by i'm probably gonna do something about it and you know like i'm going to personally yeah. personal choice but I re i'm not doing that because i need to do that or because like you know that's what a person does i'm doing that because okay. of my choice that's my choice yes. based on what i want to do so is it, is it actually better? And like, I'd like to hear anybody's input on this because this, I think this is a really good philosophical question. Is it okay. actually better to act morally good than it is to, mac to act morally evil? Or is that just what we believe? Right? Like yeah, the, opposite, yeah. the opposite belief functionally could be true, I feel like. You know, I don't necessarily think it's right. I just think it's just as true as the other side if I really get objective about it, you know? Right. I think so. That's where, okay, that's where, um, okay, how many ways to go with this? I totally agree with your saying, and I'm glad the way you articulate those things so it can help expand the understanding within that paradigm or expand the paradigm or the, the metaphor. Um, so it's not so much, so that I guess the, the bigger point in that is people weighing the options from all perspectives. So to, to dissociate and only choose, I'm cho or I'm choosing to just believe the only sure. one that matters, and that's fine. You're in a universe of one to some extent. That's true. If, if you find value, the only perspective that matters is a five-dimensional perspective or whatever, and this is meant to happen, and it's not cool, it's not good. You, you know, you wouldn't want it happening to you and your little avatar at this moment, but it's whatever your choice is. Do, do you and, think you can actually see all perspectives, though? You say you want to look at it from all perspectives, but, like, is that even possible? Right. But, I mean, well, probably not, right? Not every single perspective, but multiple perspectives to have... 
to be able when to make is a enough enough? You know what I mean? When is enough enough? Subjective. Infinitely And subjective. technically, when you have enough, like, say it takes you 37 different perspectives. Well, technically, now, your 37 different perspectives, by virtue of being enough, have become one data set of perspective yes. that led to a decision or an opinion. Totally. So they're yeah. now one. You know what I mean? So yeah. now, all of a sudden, by virtue of the you know, magic, basically, 37 became one. These are all arbitrary numbers. But the idea is that, like, totally. when is enough enough, you know? Is, is there really a need to engage with one. a system? Well, like, yeah. is there a need to engage with a system where I take all kinds of perspectives into account? Or yeah. is, like, one good enough? Like, I could just be totally. navigated by what I want and what I think is right, and that's the way I'm supposed to operate. Because at the end of the day, like, how many perspectives are you supposed to take into account? Is it one, two, three, four, five, ten, twenty-five? Right. How, yeah, ma- yeah. how many people am I supposed to think about? Because I've, I've spent a lot of time thinking about this and trying to do it. Yeah, yeah. And I can, like, try to hold a lot of people in my mind and take into account where they fit into it and a big old, you know, flow chart of how everything affects everybody. How do you think that applies? How do you think that applies internally? So not just external perspectives, but your own internal perspectives on a subject, on a decision the same point way. before it's, you make It's completely fractal. Like, how many do you need? You know? Right. So do you feel, okay, are you, so are you... So I feel like you're saying in principle, and I agree with you, uh, it sounds like maybe more that the point is living in a constant flow state. It's not about constantly logically assessing and engaging and, and weighing the best option in whatever that context means is best to you. It's more being pre- what being present in any given moment or decision so that you're in a flow state or stillness or coherence. So those decisions just <laughs> are a byproduct of that. If you want to call it flow state, but I think in certain ways, like to a lot of people, flow state kind of insinuates like, an active non-doing like it's all just coming about and mm-hmm. i don't really necessarily think that's the thing you know like so i wouldn't really call it that i would say okay. that like make a conscious choice to yes. interface with the world around you in the way that has the most likely chance to whatever your perception is of getting the outcome that you think should be in the world i mean Maybe like too- have, have you seen Rick and Morty? Do you watch Rick and Morty? Yeah. Yeah, okay, cool. So I, I just found it, because it's been around a little while, right? I just came across it, Nate introduced it to me in the last year or whatever. So I've been through all the seasons a few times, and uh, what is it? I think it's in the first season, but it's where um, uh, time splits, right? They end up splitting time, and the Schrodinger, Schrodinger's cats are outside the garage and everything. And he's 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 go, ends up getting the uh, Rick ends up getting the whiteboard to explain to them why they're in the situation that they're in. He's like, this has been a long time coming, and why they're so uncertain that they have nothing <laughs> to be uncertain about. The whole thing is to tell them like, what are you so uncertain about? Because their uncertainty <laughs> keeps creating these fractal timelines. Yeah, yeah, uncertainty creates more uncertainty. Right. So, so that uh-huh. it sounds like that's a dynamic of what you're saying. So, being in a place where you just make decisions with certainty, it's just you know, not not the, knowing not that uh, knowing that you could be wrong, or in some ways you're likely to be wrong because you're doing the best you can with the awareness that you have at the time, but actually with certainty making decisions instead of constantly I just, calculating. I'm, I just think we we basically need to use like our own heart and our own which is another way for saying what we want what we think is yeah. the good thing to do in the moment as basically the primary guidance system. 
rather than like seen... taking in a lot of perspectives like uh, at the yeah. end of the day you just pick the one that you want anyways like jordan peterson mm-hmm. i think it is talks about this with like the idea of like the like a, like a coin flip thing you know what i mean like if you're yeah. trying to choose between two things simply flip a coin and the one that you want it to be in the air that's which one you do you don't actually wait for it to land on anything because it's not about doing that. It's about creating a moment where you know what you want to do. Totally. Yeah, I like that a lot. But really, yeah. like, you shouldn't need to flip a coin for that. Let, I mean, let's face right. it. You don't need to keep a coin around for that shit. You could just be like, what do I really want to do? You could med- well, like- in your mind, visualize flipping a coin if you can really put yourself in that, if you need that. Like, I don't think you need that either. I think you could just right. get to a point where you're like, what do I really want to do? So those to me are like kind of what we were talking about yesterday and what I would call placebo belief catalysts, right? That you are the placebo. So they help catalyze your own awareness of self that you are, you create reality. You don't need a coin to do it. The point was you choosing in the air because you're just tuning into yourself sure. to find what you actually want. The to coin, do. the coins functionally a ritual that gives you confidence that the thing that you're doing is going to create the space. Totally. Yeah. That's a great way to say it. It's not really necessary. No, none right, of these right. tools, like, uh, uh, my own personal belief, if we're going to really yeah. be cut and dry. This is why I accept every single possible story right, and every right. single po- <laughs> I have people come to me and they're like, I do this kind of healing. I've been around this stuff for like 25 years. I'm like, I have never heard of that. Let's hear all about it because I'm sure it works great. Because like, it's, it's not about that. Like yeah. people do rituals, a whole gamut of them, whether it's the style of healing you do, what you visualize, the incense you burn, all this other stuff to create a confidence that they're really going to be able to engage with it in a way that they're going to be able to channel their focus to it entirely. Yeah. Right. So Hi, I Sam. Mean, if you got to actually carry a coin, that's cool. Hi Sam. How are you tonight? Colin says a decision that. choice behavior isn't right or wrong. It is just a decision and it is your responsibility to make it right for you. And functionally, I couldn't, I couldn't agree more. That's all thing. Like I'm really just attacking the concept of right and wrong. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, there's there's Dude. not really a right and wrong. It's subjective, right? Okay, you keep chatting for a second. I got something to totally add to that. The right and wrong. <laughs> so not subjective or dialogue on that. Yeah, I, I mean, like, yeah, it's pretty straightforward, you know? Like, we right and wrong is, is subjective. You literally just pick one. So we have to... Okay, we have subjective. That makes sense. Where I think most people are, quote-unquote, out of alignment or they're trying to find part of themselves or they want to connect with another version of themselves. What they're really just like missing is that they're not just accepting themselves for what they want to do. And there's a whole slew of reasons for this. And I've been in the places myself and I still am in ways in certain ways. And like, I understand there's always a reason why you think it's justifiable. That's just a reason why you think it's justifiable though. You know, like it is if you think it is and if you don't think it is, then it isn't. And this is really why the system completely balances itself. If everybody just does what they want, you know, I mean, like you're not going to do what you want. If if I if I tell you that literally you can do anything that you want, are you going to do anything that's really that bad? You know, right. Okay. what would you say? Most people aren't. No. Yeah, most people aren't. So then what would you say to the ones who are like, that's their that's their excuse to go riot or to go hurt somebody or whatever? What would you say to that? Dynamic? How do you think that's going to work out for them? <laughs> yeah, actually get arrested or whatever. It's if everybody else 
everybody else, including the people that are riding, doing what, do what they want. Some subset of people decide to start doing things that take property from other people, destroy things, cause a ruckus, hurt people, etc. The other people who would normally be docile and civil, what are they now going to want to do? Yeah. Now they're going to want to do something about that. And then this other force mobilizes against them. Yeah, oh my God, now a war breaks out. Guys, you know, newsflash, there's already a war here. If you don't think there's like a war already here, you're, you're probably just like one of the ones that are lost and you're probably not even watching this. So like, <laughs> it's not a big deal. It's okay because that's part of the thing. You know, everybody has kind of their storyline for what the, it's the unconscious individuals, it's the NPCs, it's the whatever. There's uh, stories are all over out there. Like mm -hmm. some people, we, it doesn't matter, like, because it's not about the people. It's, it's it just, it's, it's a subjective polarity in the long run, this whole right and wrong thing to get back to what I was actually originally talking about. And yeah. so is there like, and this all stems off of you saying that like, that if somebody's getting mugged, well, you're going to do this. I mean, like, I mean, well, you're going to. Yeah, totally. But, like, not everybody's going to. And is there any problem with the fact that they don't do that? I mean, not really. You know. Right. So, like, some dude is getting mugged. He's, like, a six-foot-five dude, well-built. Looks like he can defend himself. He's getting mugged by four other dudes with guns. And you're, like, a five-foot-three female who's never fought a single fight in your life. Should you go do something about that? Like, no. Maybe, like, call somebody, but you shouldn't do anything about that. That's going to go bad. You know? Right. Well, then those are infinitely subjective, too. So it's, like, a general framework for, to convey the concept of value and additional perspectives. And also the, where it can be imbalanced in additional perspective, potentially in certain certain dynamics. But it, but it's infinitely subjective. It's more the internal awareness of, I guess, I mean, what, what you were getting to, too, just your own heart's desire response. What's in right alignment for your core being that if you look back on whatever decision you made, there is no regret. You made the decision that you knew was right for you in the time. Yeah, you got to get the tattoo right here, like in that movie where it says no regrets. That, what's that from? I don't even It's uh, what is that movie called? Somebody might probably know. Somebody will know. Like, say in the comments. Well, I, I would watch that movie again. This movie is funny. Yeah, Some yeah. guy has a tattoo right here, and it's supposed to say yeah. no regrets, but it's misspelled. And when he shows it to the guy, the guy's like, really? No regrets? Not even just one? Not even one little letter? Yeah. You know? <laughs> like... Yeah, no doubt. <laughs> funny, yeah. Okay, so this, uh, this book, um, Genesis Zen in Quantum Physics. Oh, he's in the ring light in there. That's funny. Where okay. There we go. Um, but this is a, it goes back to the original Paleo Hebrew and the way they interpret it based off more of the symbols. And it goes through the first three books of Genesis, uh, verse by verse, but with a different, a more um, true. It's called to the We're the Millers. That's what it's called. I knew somebody would know. Oh, the movie. Yeah, We Are the Millers. Oh, it's okay. actually a pretty funny know. movie, must say. Anyways, Genesis yeah. and Zen. <laughs> Okay, yeah, so um, what's interesting is that when you think about the words, so it says uh, that when God created this day, that he looked at and saw that it was good, mm -hmm. right? He spoke and said that the light saw that the light was good. 
or that uh, he created the days and the stars and it was good. If you actually look at the original meanings, a much, much more accurate way to say that for good and bad than that is functional and dysfunctional. He didn't look at the creation and see that it was slamming into each other and killing planets and running his timeline. Yeah, it's work versus doesn't work. Not like, oh, yes, everything is positive or whatever you're saying. Yeah, or it's like, well, it's not it's not morally good is the point. It functions. It it works. My whole approach to life is about it functional. Like, that's my whole jam. Is it functional? Like, get it to functional. You know, I don't care what the story is. Make it right. And so it's, it's, it's <laughs> interesting thing about that replacing. Um, so then it's like, okay, so is it what is it in this moment or in this dynamic? Is it functional or dysfunctional for me make these choices or pursue this dynamic or this relationship or friendship or whatever? Is it functional mm-hmm. or dysfunctional to my goals, whatever they might be, and are they in alignment with my value system, whatever that might be? And so these sure. are really open framework to me. So that's how I've seen it for a while. It's more way within that dynamic. And then other than that, it's just, it's a nuance and play and language. And I'm like you, like whatever works for you. That's why I love finding new things that are just cool, that excite my heart and make me feel childlike, which I do believe is the gateway to ourselves in a lot of ways, no matter how you express it, just that internal state of, of like joy or excitement at things in life. Yeah. Yeah. I think like the whole way that we, I mean, I don't think we ever get off of the, for lack of a better word, spiritual path, like whatever we're doing is that path. You know I mean? There's not like a right or a wrong way you're supposed to be going, but if we want to like really engage ourselves, I think the most effective way to do it is to really just go guided off of like our best choice in the moment. Don't take other people's opinion on it really because it will lead you into troubles here and there but those troubles will teach you about yourself and it'll teach you stuff that you need to know and that refines itself out and the process actually like already works like you're not supposed to get somebody else's diagram that kind of lacks context to your life even though you can find tools from other people and if you're drawn to like learning about tools that they have or learning about more tools you can like work with people read books go to seminars whatever to like learn about other things but really at the end of the day it's just about like following your heart around and when you don't follow your heart around it goes bad and when you do it goes good like it seems right to, I mean, like really i think it's that simple totally you know? yeah yeah we make it yeah, super hard for some reason i don't know i really don't know understand that it's it's true and it's funny because um like there's things you can hear in life's and phrases or you know bible verses or things that make some sense and they make sense but or, uh, in one way or another but then you come back to them later and it's like like uh the question i asked you the other night but like what what do you believe think happens after you die right You're like holy shit at it because again it was thinking about it in a slightly different way or in a different moment at a new layer yeah. or some added level of additional awareness or something sure yeah and and i mean i'm still thinking about this question i'm not really it's so it's so weird to me that like i really just didn't have because i just I'm so, so uh, I really, I'm actually like, kind of tickled with myself that like, I'm, it's so, the answer is so true at like, I just don't care. I just yeah. don't care what happens after that. Like I haven't uh, thought about it at all. And uh, like, I'm looking for the answer now for, I'm, I'm not really sure why. <laughs> Yeah. Just because I know I don't have it, but I know yeah. already that like, I don't actually care some other thing. Okay. Here, let's, let's organically dive into this. And so like, um, so I came from, because I'm in a similar boat. Like, uh, one, no one hit. I don't care. I guess I care a little. I have interest, 
it doesn't hold a tremendous amount of weight in my decision making because of the things you dove into. We were talking about that um, off air the other night. Um, but uh, so I came from a dynamic where I believed in a very real hell, right? In a very real sure. heaven that people went to uh, because they, and it's not because God hated them. And you begin to really the dialogue, there's a totally different paradigm where you can see God in the Bible as a good father through the whole dynamic in really profound oh, yeah. ways, protecting those that are his loving the ones who are going to hell. But it says even that in the Bible that the hell wasn't made for men. It was made for Satan and his angels, the ones who fell. Like, so sure. that the, the point is they convey that, you know, that God doesn't, he want he loves you. He doesn't want you to go to hell. This is the gift, right? Et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. But either way, regardless, some people in that dynamic are going to spend eternity in hell. So I was very much raised in that. So as I was having my own experiences and learning, expanding my own understanding and, and the, the core value system being, I want truth and I want what's real. And having to let go of the things that didn't line up with that in my own heart's truth. Um, yeah. So going through that and then also with entheogen experiences and just, but even before the entheogens, like I feel like this is important. I, I haven't been afraid of death for a very, very long time. When I found Christ in me or that dynamic, I just knew though, whether it's heaven, it didn't matter. And as I understood Christ was in me and just those sovereignty dynamics, I just knew that wherever I'm going or whatever it works, however it works for people, you know, I haven't had near death experience. I haven't had some kind of life review or any crazy thing like that. So all those make sense to me, archetypally, mm -hmm. metaphorically, maybe I'll have something similar, but it's whatever. I don't Not know. Not even I'm with really psychedelics. Sure. You haven't had anything that you felt like was a life review. Well, okay. So it's interesting. So much of the psychedelic dynamics are very, um, they're deeply internal knowingnesses and massive metaphorical and energetic overlays to things. They're not, a lot of people have conversations with, you know, whether you think it's a projection of your own psyche or entities or all of the above and anything in between, you know, and I've had different dynamics, but a lot of it comes sure. to me. I feel like on some level anthropomorphized. So I feel, I do feel a resonance with the entheogen as its own consciousness simply because it exists let alone yeah. it being a realm of frequency or dimension that other people have participated in. So there's that entanglement and connection and there's a lot of dynamics there in that regard. But when, for example, like um, cannabis, that to me is lady cannabis. Like when I tune into her, I feel like she's like a 14 year old girl, that energy, like an eternal 14 year old oh. girl in some level. Oh. Like there's just kind of this more. That's actually super weird that you say that with like just well, personal, not, not because I've ever recognized it as that. But because of just like my own like kind of stuff that I still work through about like with my inner child and such, there's mm -hmm. like it's a right around that time that I ever started consuming cannabis in my life and I've mm -hmm. like never really stopped. But since I've gotten like kind of more aware of also kind of like this abandonment of my feminine traits at a certain point in time, like yeah. as I become more aware of the implications of that. I've actually like engaged with it less and less and be been like been less and less interested in it as I like kind of integrate what I see to myself and kind of my own storyline as like, well, this progressively getting older kind of feminine child inside of myself yeah. that like, uh, I, it's just, a, it, it integrates a whole bunch of traits. Like when you think about like what a young girl would do in her life. Right. And I'm not saying yeah. like the, specifically the clothes and shit, but like, caring whether or not you're like beautiful or caring yeah. about my body or liking pretty things or liking to yeah. put stuff in pretty things that you would attribute to a, a female like that. Yeah. There's a version of myself that's like progressively getting older 
as I integrate more and more feminine traits into myself. And as totally. that process is happening, my drive to engage with cannabis has been pretty much proportionately decreasing, honestly. That's where I kind of went like, whoa, actually, like that's pretty fucking proportionate. Yeah. Totally. Wow. Interesting. Because that's, that's on one hand an anthropomorphized age comparison to a human, right? It's a plant. It's, it's consciousness and entity, I think, sure. but it's, you know. But it seems to fit, and that's interesting that you say it that way. And then what's interesting, too, is so I tune into that. Okay, so a lot of people smoke cannabis, right? A lot. I mean, most like most people throughout generations, music people, whatever. And so I started tuning into her and asking her um, – uh, asking her, uh, like, who some of her favorites were, who she – favorite people she liked. And we were, one of the people that came up was we were listening to some George Carlin or something and asked about George Carlin. Right. And I mm-hmm. and felt her just like she's really offended by something he had said at some point. So she yeah. didn't really like him. Right. I could feel that difference. And then um, who is the other one brought up and then asked uh, San Pedro. I was tuning into San Pedro just because I've had that in my system, my physiological system before I know what that frequency is. I was tuning into that and asking what San Pedro thought about George Carlin and just saw and felt San Pedro just busting up laughing, just like kind of like rocking <laughs> chairs, busting up laughing right at. And San Pedro seen as like the grandfather and ayahuasca, like the mother or grandmother in that dynamic too. So oh. I, I think it's, that's really interesting with mushrooms too. Like recently um, on experience um, as they came to me anthropomorphized, I guess, but it's just, it was an understanding. These were, it was the, the mushrooms speaking to me and they're almost like little dancing mushrooms, but that's just in my own mind's eye. Like it's, you know, I get it. Like it, to me, it makes sense. It's not like it's a, a completely external entity is fearing me as mushrooms. It's like, I don't know. It's a mix of all of it to me. It's internal. It's inside of me anyway. It's just anyway. But I remember them uh, saying, being very grateful because they really appreciated how I gave them words, the ways that I gave words to my experiences with them, the way I would articulate and try to process and find expressions that felt worthy of the experiences I was having. Yeah. You know, and, and have as I as I go through. That's why it's still building relationship with me and finding really finding words and expressions. Like we were kind of diving into the whole melty thing and fluidic space and all that on Lucy and that, yeah. you know? Yeah, I, I spent like, that was my whole, honestly, I don't think I would have engaged with psychedelics that much if it wasn't for that like logical parsing of what's happening in this space. How do I turn it into a function in my real life? Like that was my whole jam anytime I've ever been engaged with them really is like, I literally feel like I'm like purposely like going and getting data to bring it back. (laughs) Can I just do that? Like that's really the whole reason. But I, in a certain way, I understand how it seems to me now that like, that's pretty much everybody's interface with stuff like that in one way or another. They're either going into themselves and getting some piece of themselves that they haven't been bringing with them or they're going out and getting some new perspective or every way that you could possibly slice it's the same. I'm I'm curious, yeah. Samantha. When you say dreaming of being a good person or caring mother, like, are you meaning like you actually have dreams about that, like while you're asleep, or that you are currently like doing that in your life? Because if you're currently doing that in your life, you are a good person. That's guaranteed. And if you want to be a caring mother, you are. It's just in the ways that you are, and maybe there's some ways that you think you're supposed to be, but that doesn't necessarily mean that you're supposed to be that way. Only if you don't feel like you're doing what you should be doing. And then, I mean, really the answer is do those things instead, make the time for them and do them. So 
And really, in the long run, if you're dreaming about it, it's leading to a fact that you're probably subconsciously or unconsciously feeling like you're not actually doing those things. When really, you have all the capability to be those things. You just have to want to be those things, which tunes you into the frequency of it, and then allow your emotions to guide you towards doing that through making decisions that are in line with what you're trying to generate. It's actually pretty easy. So I enjoyed microdosing mushrooms and concealer yeah energetic fields yeah it's interesting that these these pop out with everything like everything you know if you get too tired these start happening but then if you go to like a university in the modern day they'll tell you that like auras don't exist like they have machines that do the aura readings and stuff now, the curling uh, photography and some other things that they measure all that. They've been doing that. Uh, in- I mean, I literally know someone who is going to a university of in in Sydney, in Australia, literally like a, just a year ago, and they were like specifically told this by a professor very early in class. So it's not like it's like old data or something. That's like 2019 data. This is stuff that's being said inside of things. I know the machines exist. I know this makes right. no sense. It's crazy. And they're very variable pretty locally. I mean, they're pretty around which is nice so even though it may not be endorsed even though i know i think it's harvard has an energy medicine department there's a, a couple i don't think dean one of them but there's a lot of i was went through going through one of the books recently um or i mean um you know recent history um but they're doing a lot of stuff on campus like showing the reality of the psychic dynamic but it's in a way that's just kind of under the radar because it is there mm-hmm. and they are doing it with like the credentialed you know, dynamic behind it. So I don't know. That's just, it's inevitable for that rises more to the forefront of, you know, people's awareness. Uh, let's see. There's several here. All right. You pick one, Zach. Throw it up. Uh, I, I, to- I understand what you're saying now about uh, in response to cannabis. Why this? I think I do. You're saying that kind of cannabis carries that spirit along with it, that idea of the caring person or the and and or mother, is is that what you're saying? And shout out to caring for four people and then still trying to better yourself. Like that's a that's a that's a task. Um, I admire that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I mean, like in in certain ways, I feel like there's very much so like a feminine feminine plants, masculine plants, and I mean this even goes over into synthetics and stuff. Although most of them are masculine, but nevertheless, like the those feminine ones, which cannabis definitely is. Yeah. I, okay. Right. Like like it. Okay. Yeah. I totally understand. Like it's like a 14 year old that's dreaming of being a good person and a caring mother. Right. Yeah. Yeah, interesting. Yeah, that's another layer to it. Yeah, like it wants to do it, but it doesn't really know how yet. Whereas, like, I mean, ayahuasca, it's got a really good idea to the point where, like, you think that its format of mothering is, like, too rough, perhaps. But really, <laughs> actually, that's what nurturing is, and you don't get it. <laughs> you know what yeah. I mean? <laughs> yeah, you know, it's interesting. Frank Frank talks about in the, all his ayahuasca experiences where, um, you know, if things get too rough, you can always call the mother in, call her in, and sure. she'll kind of like pause things or be with you and like, you know, help you through yeah, it. Yeah, well, it's just a concept. It. It's just a concept. Yeah, yeah. Right. You're made by one. It's, they're made by one. Another yeah. one. They're made by another one. Another one. Another one. Like, you you, know, I mean, okay. genetically, you're connected just to billions of so, mothers. You know. So the the thing with so my experiences with Aya. Um, even when I started a microdose protocol, I haven't gotten back around to it for, for doing I and taking Cappy and then taking just smaller amounts, you know, mm-hmm. based on part of the dynamic of obviously the different microdosing mushrooms and LSD and a lot of different things. 
um, so even a sub-psychoactive effect having some kind of benefit that just isn't maybe commonly known now because I just haven't really heard anybody doing those things. Sure. Um, but, but also being able to put the, even though, yes, we could tune in through meditation, again, there's something to putting the physiological frequency and resonance into, into the vessel, even if it's just an additional placebo belief catalyst, right? Um, but uh, uh, the feeling, though, even when I was microdosing it, but especially under the actual sessions, it felt like um, a mother or the universe, if you will, but mother seems more at least anthropomorphized and emotionally connecting. But it really felt yeah. like that, like the, uh, hugging every cell of my body, every cell of my being beyond just the body, but like, you know, sure. I'm trying to give it some word images. So it was cool. It was me and Nate and uh, another friend of ours in uh, the summer. Um, and he had a big love sack. So at one point we all had that. We had these like, uh, I had just gotten this blanket that's got like a cape on it and the like hands for squirrel arms or something. And like, uh-huh. it was a, a blanket thing. So I was cuddled up in that. He jumped on and we were all kind of cuddled up on there and just, it felt, it was just awesome. We did that for a little while and then, you know, things transitioned and whatever. But man, I don't know how else to explain it, man. Weighted blankets. Have you ever felt a weighted blanket? Weighted blankets. We talked about this at one point in time. I have, and I have like a bunch of bank blankets on my bed right now, um, even. But I haven't ever had an actual weighted blanket. Uh, Okay. It is worth a try because it can feel like the same thing I just described. Like the same thing I just described, but from the outside in, like coming down. Like I'm definitely considering it an essential part of my trip kit or for shamaning kit or whatever. Because, Uh dude, a friend of ours in the fearless group, Joanna, when I was over there um, – she put that on me right in the middle of a, um, a mushroom dynamic experience. And it just, it, it made everything a million times better. I ended up buying mm. one the next day and I've been sleeping with it every night and it feels so settling to your nervous system. I know it's something that they recommend for people, Asperger's or autism. A lot of times that can be very stilling and calming. And so yeah. know, it's not for everybody and there's different weights and whatever, but it, it is, it is something I use daily and, and really glad I got did you have problems falling asleep that's why you ended up getting it is that I think that's no, like why actually, people usually get them right well or just anxiety in general um mm. yeah see love way to blink yeah, see, I, I have neither of those things at all like oh, I'm look, the least neither, anxious and, person and, ever yeah oh, these I people are psyched too, on yeah, them I mean I'm probably missing <laughs> out here I, I know I'm probably missing out instantly <laughs> feels like oh totally man so no, I, 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 I can sleep anywhere and I can go to bed because of my borderline narcolepsy disorder. Um, so I got my, you got to carry around your weighted blanket all the time just in case you fall asleep. Uh, no, I can fall asleep anywhere. It's just extra <laughs> special where I can be in my bed, in my way, look on my, in my bed. So I've got, um, right now I've got a Magnetico sleep pad. It's one of the, uh, it's the only mattress, magnet mattress engineered. So it's only projecting the South pair polar, south polar facing fields um towards your body and if you're four inches above and it recreates the do you always sleep in a spaceship or just some of the time (laughs) whenever i sleep at home man but i i sleep at least one to two nights a week usually sometimes more i sleep what direction does your head face while you sleep right now east to west and and that's uh no which way is your head pointing west mm. interesting tell me do it no no tell me i've got my, all my intuitive processes that are always in motion with why can you can you just turn around, around, around on your bed east east is the way to go simply put okay 
Yeah, just yeah eat. right. Yeah. Done deal. Yeah, so he was going to switch. Ayurveda, Ayurveda says but... he's, I mean, east to west is the way to go. Definitely not north to south, according to like Ayurveda and stuff. But if you're going like esoterics yeah. and stuff, it makes sense also. Like, well, west and stuff, like Egyptology and stuff, like westing, dying, end of things, the sun sets in the west, moon sets in the west, right? If you yeah. want to like start new things and bring about new things for yourself, abundance right, is more abundant yeah, to yeah, be yeah. facing east. Cranial sacral yeah, cool, session man. with a weighted blanket. That would be amazing. Dude, yes, like, and I'm going to have to do that. I have feel like I, I must be really missing out on the weighted blankets here because apparently like, I, people, I was just we don't even, like, people don't comment about a lot of stuff, but weighted blankets, they're like, oh, they're the best, man. We just, that's, that's, this podcast is about weighted blankets now forever. Yeah, where do I, where do I buy them? Which, what's the best kind? Hey, what do I need? <laughs> Uh, there's some kind of there's some kind of formula for weighted blankets or something, right? Like it's supposed to be some percentage of my weight or something like that, and it's all science. Like that. Okay, do I have got... to build a spaceship around it and do a cranial sacral session in order to fall asleep, or is it like? Can I? Just no, but it makes it? everything better, bro. It makes everything better, just like that... drugs, right? Okay, so it's just like I need the blanket, and then I just need to start. Like, I mean, I'll even bring it on the podcast. Just lay underneath the blanket like this. And it will make the podcast better. Yeah, let's cut yeah. a cuddle. Well, I mean, it, yeah, it sounds like I'm about to be making a cape out of a weighted blanket so I can keep it around with me all the time. So if you ever find me, I'm just like, you know, we can just dive down. We're good. Oh, there you go. It's super, it's super worth it, man. It's getting hugged from the other side. It's, it's, it's really incredible. I've also got... Seriously, okay, so though, is got, there like some kind of thing? Is there like a specific weight you're supposed to get? Because obviously if I got like a... I don't, I don't even know how big these things come. If it was yeah, too yeah, much, so, it would okay. be uncomfortable, right? So I got... Yeah, yeah. I got a 60 by 80 and it's 30 pounds. And I think that might be on the higher end for some people. I know Joanna was saying she wished she had got But you're like pounds. 608 feet tall or something, right? Yeah, just about 6'6". Six, six. Okay, so, yeah. It's close so to 608 so, feet. <laughs> yeah, close enough, man. Wait till we meet in person. How tall are you? I'm like I'm like five ten or eleven or six foot or something. I don't really know. Right. Yeah, that's not bad. I think Frank. I'm, like, I'm not about that measurement life, heard. really. I wonder how tall Frank is. Frank's five nine, five ten, maybe. I don't know. I need Maybe twenty to twenty five pounds. Short. Okay, so if he says twenty to twenty five pounds, I need twenty pounds because I think I weigh like thirty eight pounds. Or yeah well yeah oh. you might need like 15 20 pounds but uh yeah that it's definitely i'm sure i need a light one i'm positive i need a light one so go 20 what's 20, 20 what's 20 to you what's number what's two or 20 to you introducing it then yeah like for numerology comatria whatever your own meanings what is 20 reduced down to 20 is just a second reiteration of zero so 20 is the second reiteration i really, of simpl zero? I really simplify numbers Really, like, yeah, no, please, like, like I, 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 I like the gametria thing. It was very fun. I had a, I had a buddy yeah. that I really paid a lot of attention to that was like, well, a huge degree from Yale and mathematics and stuff. He spent a whole lot of his time doing gametria now, and I don't really know. He kind of feels like a lost soldier in certain ways or whatever. So, like, no, I, I've kind I, of I chilled totally out on the gametria. No, no, I totally understand what you mean. So when I ask that, I mean, like, for me, um, twelve pounds. The, throw blanket size yeah well i mean i'm only like 510 so be, i'm like if i'm under six case. foot i'm pretty sure i'm like half a man if i'm under six foot so <laughs> a throw blanket should be perfect for me right and i'm 608 feet so yeah yeah that's it'll be good 
It'll be, we're still going to have to film with two cameras if you're ever around with me just because you're, like, in the sky. You know what I mean? That's all right. I can squat down. I'm, I'm kind of hunkered down. No, nah, you're, not, you're not that much taller than me. I'll just, like, I'll just like uh, Tom Cruise it or something. I'll stand on a box. Dude, you know you Tom Cruise? I mean? like five, five, seven, five, six, or five, seven. He's so tiny. Oh, yeah. He's super tiny. Go heavier yeah. for various reasons. Has a lot to do with astral travel. Okay, explain yourself. How does the weighted blanket assist in astral travel? Very curious Ooh. to hear about that. Yeah. Is that <laughs> on the YouTube chat? Because that's uh, if that's coming through on your end, it's on the live YouTube channel. It's not. Yeah, it's delayed here. Yeah, it's on YouTube. It's delayed for you. Yeah, I'm going. I'm going yeah. for like. Yeah. Yeah, I got live. Okay, that's fine. I just want to make sure why. It, so let's see. Astral travel. I mean, I guess I could understand. Like, it eases the anxiety. So it call like that leads to the idea that it would calm your mind. Like you're not thinking about as many things that could happen for you know, and at the lower levels. Sure. Yeah, yeah. And really, I think like the astral travel predominantly about being able to focus what you're doing, really, and almost to the point of focusing on not doing at a certain level of it. But that gets weird sounding. But so I guess yeah. on that level, I could already see that. But I'd love to hear what this person, uh, Kala, is saying. Is how's it help? The one I daily use is twelve. And a half. So, what, what what do you use? It's heavier than twelve and a half pounds too. Like, what's your heavier one? Your standard. Twenty to twenty-five, sure. I would imagine. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It's attachment back into the body has to not get lost like an anchor. Do you actually astral travel so effectively that you feel like you will get lost? Really? I mean, like, that's amazing if you do. I feel like if I even allow myself to focus too much on my astral travel, I get, like, too intoxicated by it and kind of, like, snap out of it even. So, and then, and then I'm just back in my body. Like, I'm, I always end up back in my body, sort of unfortunately. <laughs> Not lost yeah. per se, but leave timelines. It's altogether possible that what I've been doing all my life is completely dangerous and I'm accidentally leaping timelines all over the place. I have no idea. That would be completely possible. Maybe sure. you need a way to blanket, bro. That's what's keeping you from being integrated. That's that's the work you need to do. Yeah. That's your spiritual work. Go buy a new I actually didn't to need to do any work. I just needed to do like enough to buy a weighted blanket and then bing bang boom, enlightenment, right? So and even even in that, that's funny because that's why like I buy things like that, because I saw it as an avenue that helped me free up more of my nervous system or sub subconscious energy attuning to potentially like, yeah, all the extra external stimulus or air even moving over in a different way or I don't know, whatever. Um, but for mm -hmm. it to be pressed down and resting in that way, it more frees up more of like, yeah, my subconscious, I guess, to be more conscious and engage in things I consciously want to engage in inside of myself. Hmm. Hmm. I just suddenly had this thought going back to you because I'm contemplating. I got the I got the little balls spinning that you're talking Benoit about, balls, right? Yeah. The Benoit balls about the about the death question. I was sitting here going like, I wonder if the reason why I just don't even worry about that in astral travel is because like, well, I just don't care what happens next. You know, what I mean, like, yeah. I don't care whether it's like another timeline or it's me or I'm a unicorn. Like, it really doesn't matter to me what well, I end up also, in next. Okay, so. So contrast that between where it sounds like you have found major benefit and have cared enough about where you, you don't care enough about astral travel to really develop that. You have developed lucid dreaming and found that to be really beneficial for you. Like talk about that. I mean, I wouldn't say I hadn't like honed astral travel either, though. <laughs> like whoa, 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 Aaron, make sure you don't. Yeah, I mean, like, it, it, maybe. Down. I mean, maybe take it easy on that. <laughs> like I've spent, I've definitely spent a lot of time around that, and in a certain way, 
well, my personal belief, if we really want to go like full out with it, like how do you think you're in your experience right now? Like you're currently astral traveling. That's what you're doing. And you're always doing that. So we're all like, I mean, we're all astral traveling. We're all doing it. But how much awareness is it that you need of it in order to feel like you are quote unquote doing it? Some people just know things from certain things. Some people actually see it. Some people just feel it. Some people hear it. Some people you've talked, you, I heard you talking at one point in time about like smell being one of the things that triggers memory the most, right? Like mm -hmm. triggers memory. Like, well, it so it reminds you of something and then you know that thing. So some people smell something and then they know like there's all kinds of integration of basically what you could call your astral travel that you tap into, but you just like, you, you look at it in the, the way you look at it, but really like, that's how yeah. you're here. You're, you're not really a human body. I mean, you're not like, that's provable by like a bunch of ways. <laughs> you're not a human right. mind. That's provable by yeah. a bunch of ways. Even the idea that you're limited at whatever you would perceive is the next thing out of that, like human spirit or soul or whatever you call next. That's probably yeah. not it either. That's totally. also probably not it. You know, and you can probably get right away outside of this. So, like, I don't really remember what I was talking about with that. No, that's good. To I'll, be quite I'll honest, good. Go ahead. Good. All right. So, so then to me, it's uh, it becomes like we've talked about this. So, since that's something I haven't done yet, I've we've, I've talked we've talked about different dynamics. And I've I've um, almost separated from my body or been in those states. You know, the um, separation or the high vibrating or just other moments that the veil's been just so thin. I feel like I'm just it's like uh it's not it's not it's almost this uh switching between i don't know it's conscious and subconscious dissociating from the ego in some way but being present with your awareness i don't know there's like this very thin stillness point or something like a shift just a slight phase sure. shift or something right and uh so i've been very very close to those dynamics but I haven't actually experienced it and like you were saying too so on one level how much does it matter because mm -hmm. what what else where you're putting your focus awareness and and whatnot and then also the dynamic of all that matters in that dynamic is that i want it so i'll have that experience that also being a true dynamic subjective to each individual person sure yeah just really just gotta want it bad enough to focus on it completely i think i mean astral travel for me has been since birth i saw my own birth remembering crib coming off of the body i mean that's super awesome. Uh, I, I feel like I don't have any memories from like three or something like that. Like until like three, I remember something. But so like that's, that's super cool. You know, I mean, like I'm really just speaking more like broad form. Like what is even the human experience, right? Like that's astral travel pretty much, right? Uh -huh. So astral right. travel is just what like some other thing that you want to see that's not this that really just kind of actually shows how much you buy into the idea that this is like your consensus reality you know what i mean uh -huh. like that that something else is different than this thing like in that regard that you go from here right. and then you travel to other place that really to me that just says like you recognize yourself identify yourself more here than there but right like, so I guess then, in my then, own ideology, I don't really even look at, like, perspective like that, really. So, okay, so do you, how would you say then what is happening when someone go, puts their conscious awareness in this body, and then, uh -huh. uh, but then astral projects and their conscious awareness is there, but not necessarily in this body? Are they just shifting their focus of awareness? 
Well, I mean, different like they're they're the same body. They're just they're just focusing into a different place, and right, everything right. is just focused into a different place. Unless you're having two experiences yeah. at the same time, you know right. what I mean? Like, have you yeah. actually split your experience into two? I mean, I've seen it with psychedelics. I'm not gonna lie, but you know, like normally, what people yeah. are talking about is that like this experience turns off, the other one starts happening, pretty much. Right, and right, right. It really, it, to me, it just seems like a shift of focus. But I got, yeah. like, well, the, the whole kind of real methodology that I got into, like, whatever you call it, deep meditation, astral travel, all, all this stuff becomes the same thing inside there. It's all about yeah. just putting more focus on something all the time, like totally. being more and more focused and managing that focus by virtue of having more access to it. You know what I mean? Yeah. So it's, I, I I literally think that's how we're here. So I think everybody's capable. You have different stipulations yeah. about what makes it astral travel for you. And really all of right. them are trainable. You know, it's like, funny. They really well, it's are. funny because that's like, that's part of like the data collecting you were talking about earlier. Right. So when I talk to people who, uh, you know, I call it the dentist's birth, it's asking all these questions or finding out just in, and especially finding out from more people that seem to be able to do that from birth, what that means that like, explain it to me because I haven't been there in a sense or shifted in that same way. And everyone has different ways of describing it. Right. But there do seem to be very legitimate consensus realities, you know, that even in that dynamics, you know, meeting on astral levels, like having conscious engaged talking conversation meetings, and then, you know, going back to their body, remembering everything they talked about in the meeting, not like a dream or whatever. So Uh there's, so that seems to also be a reality that I haven't been existing in consciously, which is fine. Like you're saying, do we need to? We are. I think all the things you're saying is also true. It's just interesting how it all exists, and it really does matter with your life experience, right? For someone who's never born, made or even heard the word rest or travel, and wasn't born that way, doesn't matter to their experience at all. Someone else who's yeah, born, they're never going to say, "Oh, I got here by astral travel," and they're never going to say that. Yeah. Well, then <laughs> someone, but then someone who's born with it, like Kala, that um, some here, but and that. Uh, she doesn't know anything but that that's always been her, her reality what someone else couldn't relate to at all, potentially, which is just sure. really interesting diversity of people that are here. Yeah. And say, so for, so for me, all timelines run at the same time and I can move through them with intention and pause any for healing or understanding. I mean, like I'm with this on the, all of them running at the same time. I mean, I think I even said last night that I think all things happen instantaneously, that you live in an instantaneous reality. So like pause them, make them instant, go slower, change the speed. Like, yeah, that's because like it only, it only happens when you're there. It, it doesn't happen without you. You're the awareness of the happening. So it's, uh, I, I don't, you know, that I'm with that 100 I think you can pause any of them. Uh, There's been, uh, you know, references in pop culture and then also like, well, some people just call themselves this, but the idea of like a time Lord, Dr. Who brings this whole thing out. Like this is uh, time is really like a thing that we're making happen and we make it happen at different rates. If you enhance your like rate of perception, time seems like it slows down. It's pretty easy answer for why when I'm in like, about to be in a car wreck it seems like things go slower i start snapshotting data much faster time is social time is very much so social too technically everybody has just been agreeing with a clock all the time and some of them agree with the exact same clock and really the only reason to actually use time is that social thing behind it is like aaron let's do the podcast at eight o'clock 
and that right. means some specific and then time. 8.15. Right, yeah, and then we're late. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, it doesn't matter. You know, it really doesn't matter. But, like, this this time is social thing. Like, I couldn't I couldn't possibly agree more. Like, I had an experience a while back where, you know, to, to, to mince on it, you know, when I came back from the experience, I felt like I was very, very concerned about how much time had gone past. And I realized very quickly, like, I need to just look at the clock and just go with that. And that will get me out of this. And when I did that, immediately, I'm like, you've always just been looking at the clock and agreeing with it. Like, wait, oh, my gosh, like, the, the, the clock is not right. I'm just agreeing with it. Like, wait a minute. Wow. Yeah, what a this cool is, to see that. What? Wait. Okay. I mean, don't think about that too much. You're trying to get out of this little problem right now. <laughs> I mean, okay, yeah, yeah. well, I'm agreeing. I've never looked at a clock the same after that. You know what I mean? I really haven't. Like, cool. It's right. just what that, that's just what time the clock says it is. And I try to keep that the same time that everybody else's clock says. You know? Yeah. <laughs> it's interesting. Um, Andrew Bartzis talks about um, something I, I heard and just it resonated with me. So I adapted that, that kind of energy or frequency in the morning and that paradigm, my own ways of doing it. But um when you're coming out of dream state that that being incredibly sacred time, right? I mean, there's obviously ways to anchor and seed and, and, um, you know, to wait, you can wake up without an alarm and, um, you know, or you have a job that doesn't, uh, do any of that anyway. Sure. Um, but as you're waking up, transitioning into the dream state, staying perfectly still and settled and at peace and that staying in that in between state and just said it, we can do all sorts of things in that place, but that being, um, a place to actually continue on in your dream or to then engage your dream or to anchor it into more of the cellular long-term memory or anyway, there's a lot that happens in that space. But the point is it's a time outside of fraud time before looking at the clock, you don't have an alarm going off. You don't have any context for time. Mm -hmm. You stay, you just be present in that time until it feels over basically. Yeah. You know, whatever that means for you. Yeah. Interestingly, I started getting and like unintentional plug here. But I, I started using Alpha Brain for a period of time. And oh, um, like yeah, yeah, I, I used it, and then I just, like, I couldn't afford it at that point in time. So, like, I didn't yeah. use it after that, even though, quite honestly, it was great. But when I stopped using it, I started having these – well, I would wake up into a hypnagogic state, right, right at, like, I wouldn't actually wake up, but I would shift out of, like, dream state. And I would be in this hypnagogic state where I couldn't really control what I was thinking about, but the rate that my brain and the efficiency that my brain was like processing information about like how I felt, what I needed to do about it, how my actions were influencing what I was doing. Like it was going so fast. Like, well, I mean, the space is still there. Like I've, I've kind of made a practice around it, but like this space, it popped up after that, but I think this space is available for everyone. And it's exactly because yeah. of what you're talking about. Like since you've come, you're coming out of this dream state and then you're not really in the place where you keep time yet. You're in this weird spot where like time really actually doesn't yeah. matter. And when it really actually doesn't matter, things happen at completely different rates, or at least they are perceived to, but I mean, well, I have kept time on this space before like i i know where i'm supposed to be with outside stuff or you know like i know right. what popped me to it and then i like kind of held it okay what? you know it's interesting too so like uh this weekend um uh, i was i was uh, out with my siblings and 
me and no one else or whatever they want people to not know. No one did. <laughs> Just tell the story YouTube. without the people. You were out of the place. What's up? Yeah. <laughs> um, but we were having this conversation about time. Uh, and uh, my, my sister started talking about time. And she went into this really cool dynamic about um, things she could, these like perceptions she had about time and just started rolling with it. Right. And I'm like, uh-huh. awesome. 30 years I've known you. And like, I've never seen uh-huh. this side of you, like this deeply organic, you yeah. know, well thought out, like from her soul right? whatever that means. You could tell it was like more than just like talking about shit. Right. Or even shit. She yeah. thinks it's cool. Like whatever. It was like really deep, like about time. Right. It was all is the things we were talking about and the being a shared agreement and a construct in that way, like a shared agreement, agreed upon thing. It's not, you know, um, but she said it was interesting because as she's talking to me, when she was bearing her soul in that way or expressing herself in that way, that was just seemed more deeply connected to something to like her beingness. Um, it was very slow for me. Right. It was a very yeah. present moment because I feel like I, I've met her, right? Like my, my presence or awareness of the listening skills, but more than that, like just awareness of like seeing her there created this time where time slowed way down. Mm-hmm. And it was, and it was very, it just awesome. And then I didn't even come to I had too much awareness of that until she said, you know, but it sucks because so when you're having a good time, time flies. And when you're having a crappy time, time goes slow. And I said, you know, and that's what I said. And actually, I said, I think that's just, we believe that. So we create that reality. I said, right now, time is going very slow for me. This whole last few minutes has gone for mm-hmm. hours, like in, in quality, I guess, of a, of a conversation sure. or engagement. Interesting. I, I really would be interested to hear what you mean by you use the clock for messages. Like, because that, that doesn't sound like you just like see a time and it means something to you. It you know, sounds like more than that like sending them or something like that, which would make sense. Yeah. And that'd be so in, interesting. So like, uh, okay. So higher self dynamics, if you will. Sure. So I've thought it, uh, I've thought of it like potentially if we're going to put it into the code matrix and that whole paradigm. So it's like once we, Hang once on, we let me boot up my computer. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah. Bummer. Um, when uh, uh, we use that, when we find in these the, the avatars or the residual self-image, right in the matrix, which I like that, I like that paradigm too. Um, that uh, when we start to value numbers, because we can put our awareness anywhere, that's part of the problem. We can be distract ourselves from ourselves with shit, with stuff, right? Like social media stuff, yeah. or just like just people in general, or just habits or things. But we don't, we don't ultimately feel connected to ourselves, whatever that means. That's you know, all that right. shit. So like. Um. Uh, shit. What was I saying? I, you didn't get there yet. I don't know. <laughs> no. What, is, what was I starting to say? What was I saying right before that? I don't have it. Somebody in chat will have to do it. I know. Do you interpret the time with numerology and relay that for messages? Okay. That's okay. Finding. Yeah. yeah. Finding value to um. So when we choose to give our value to, like when I found the ancient uh, you know, the the twenty two letters Hebrew letters and the um you know, the five dimensions to each letter, all that stuff we've talked about, it gave value to numbers. So two, to me, I always think of uh, bait. So the second letter in the Hebrew alphabet, which we you know, talk about Lev and the bait is the innermost room or inner inner space or an inner close, cloister. Um, and uh, 
Uh, and it's interesting. There's a show I was watching this summer. I think um, I'd stop by my parents and see my grandma and stuff. They live up there and hang out. They were watching the show. Oh gosh, what's it called? I don't know that it uh, the Umbrella Family or something. I don't know something like that. But the, but each of the kids had some form of a superpower, and they grew up in this kind of secret, you know, spy. I don't know whatever deal. And now they're kind of adults and like figuring this stuff out. But each one of their the first five, I think at least, went through like seven. Each one of them, like the number one, Aleph in Hebrew, which the picture is an ox. This guy was massive, like hulked out or like Dr. Jekyll, Mr. Hyde thing, right? Like ox, big, strong dude. Um, uh, I forgot what the second one was. Third was uh, Gimel, which is uh, to be raised up on a camel or to be seen or to be a star. She's a star. She could actually charm people. She could speak or whisper words that would charm them. And she, they would like, you know, NLP or just, you know, the, whatever, hypnagogic stuff um just from our words number four i think he died and and he but he was a ghost so he's always present and only one of the other ones could see him and number four in the hebrew is is uh it's a doorway which is a portal right so like but each one of the letters are lining up which is interesting to me because so if that's all code in the matrix like these simple mm-hmm. like actual numbers have pictographic meaning that carries resonance even just in the the collective unconscious and it comes out through creative expression you know, even if they don't know what they're doing or it's intentional on some like Masonic Hollywood level and they put these things that I don't, you know, who knows? Well, who cares, really? It's just interesting yeah. to see the cor- the correlations and in, in the meanings of the numbers. But so when we, yeah. we actually give value to them, then our higher selves can be like, oh, they're paying attention to numbers. Now let's play with the code of the matrix of their daily lives or whatever. And uh-huh. so we can communicate in a way that's not like in 3d coming down in a booming voice or whatever that, whatever that means, some kind of minor track, yeah. more, mi- more minor connection. Yeah. And that's, it's interesting. Cause that's kind of what Carl is saying here that he's kind of doing is nudging that probability that they would have a kind of the synchronicity. It seems like. Yeah. yeah. It's, a, yeah. it's a mix of numerology and vibration and number. And then the intensity, the frequency they show, then base it on thoughts, feelings, or experiences, and follow the impulse to next thing to do. Yeah, I think yeah. especially all the astral stuff. Like it, it's so important to just be guided by your intuition, especially for things like that. Like logic, it you can logic everything, but it's not really actually yeah. that valuable <laughs> in that case. Right, it's really not. Well, so like, and so it's funny. So what I like about that is that there's a logical connection, and I just do it like for uh, um, something to entertain my mind. Like I'll see numbers, and I'll just like you did sure. it. You did it yesterday. Yesterday we were talking about December 25th, right? We're like trying to find meaning in it because apparently that's a significant <laughs> right, <case>. yeah, <laughs> right. And so I'll, all right, I guess we'll go down to the code and see if see if there's maybe something possibly relevant there. Okay, comes right. out ten. Okay, I could see that. You know, maybe, maybe whatever, because I can't find any more yeah. overt correlations. <laughs> could right? be, I guess. Yeah. But so, what's cool though is I do find repetitive numbers with certain people, sure. right? And certain dynamics or certain um, emotions or certain things I'm feeling or processing. I like I'll see that in in my own day or with a certain person. It'll indicate to me like, oh, I'm there's some there's a part of me that's a, that's processing here or. Mm-hmm. Uh, coming up for healing or I don't know, some kind of some things coming up. So, so the numbers just then become an, a way for me to play a game with myself in a sense. So it's yeah. not like everything depends on the numbers. It's just another one of many ways I play with myself. <laughs> many ways I play with myself. <laughs> <laughs> it's just another one of many ways I play with myself. <laughs> so true. <laughs> oh my gosh. 
Yeah, well, you know, you got to have plenty of ways to play with yourself. Otherwise, you you won't be able to be Double in touch team. with your inner child. You know what I mean? Yeah. No, really, man. <laughs> like, really, just being on – I was okay. I was on a, a road trip recently, and we pulled over synchronistically somewhere, and there happened to be a baseball field there. And being able to go off on into the baseball field just because. And then it was a really cool day. It was a really cool picture of the sun, the clouds. Um yeah, and I think, yeah, I was telling you about this the other day, too. So I went to the pitcher's mound and just began to reenact, like, pitching. And I haven't done this in, like, at least a decade. I grew up playing baseball, and I played um, I played pitcher, I think, for a year. But I did it all on my own and catcher and first base and whatever. So I, I like, I just ended up You were up the whole the team by yourself, huh? You must have ran fast. <laughs> no, I ran so awkward and slow, man. Even to this day, I think I, I'm do okay, but I have to think about when I'm running. I mean, I play basketball recreation. Well, not with the COVID shit going on, but I play back basketball uh, recreation. I try to do that um, in the yeah, spring. Yeah, you're cheating in basketball, though. Go because I'm so tall? Yeah, 608 <laughs> feet tall. It's too tall to play basketball. The rim's only 10 feet, man. <laughs> no doubt. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but but uh but being on the baseball mound and then just like i don't know narrating to myself and just having a good time but reenacting sure. the movements and the memories and i it, it brought up like childhood just stuff like the feeling of being that being me not just a child the feeling sure. of what it felt like when i was a kid on the mound again and just to kind of integrate that it was almost like snapping a string between a past mm-hmm. version of me because i was recreating the physical motion in a physical space it like yeah. snapped the string to like bring all the healing that I've experienced now, whatever that means, the wholeness, the more wholeness than I am now, whatever to back to that child version of me. Just by doing this the takes thing my mind a very interesting doing. place because I've spent a, most of my travel in my life has been trying to get somewhere that someone I had heard about before had already been. So that I could experience what it was like to be them and really kind of further cohere with what their life was to understand totally. it better. And yeah. like, it's very, very functional, like very, very functional. <laughs> so like standing right. in someone's footsteps, right? Like, or walking right. in their footsteps. It's very, very, very functional. So. You can write on my we'll shoulder. Up on air yeah. With that. yeah. Like that's a, probably what we're going to need for sure. And like, my foot's got problems now, so we're going to need your feet. So it's a solid shut, setup. Shut, just shut up and heal your psyche. Stop being a bitch, and we'll play basketball. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you're right. You're I'm actually going to get dunked on even if you are 608 feet tall because I can fly. So anyways, moving on. There you go. It happens, man. White man can jump. They, they can yeah. sometimes. Been there, done that. Marsha Summers, you, you've dunked on someone 608 feet tall? Probably. Some of us are pretty clumsy. <laughs> Yeah, I don't think that's what she was saying. She had been there and done, but you know, maybe she probably uh-huh. could. She could. She could dunk on you, though. I feel like I feel like she could take you to the house, probably. Yeah, I mean, who knows, man? I probably. Played in a, oh well, yeah. So, uh, but yeah, so snapping a line—that's interesting too. It makes me think of entanglement in a different way. You know, there's a lot of ways to mm-hmm. to image that, but bringing our awareness to a. So we're in the present. We're always in the present. So whatever we do with our awareness, we choose to focus on the past, our regret and things can hold us back or whatever. And then um, what is it? Anxiety is caused by worrying about the future, you know, to oversimplify those. But um, so we put our awareness on the past with the intention of either finding some positive benefit in the present, right? Positive memory, positive experience, or just following our own heart, not even consciously knowing why we're doing those things or following a childlike version of our heart, I guess. 
right? Different than we're stopped here. Okay, we all have a cigarette, chill, look at the sun, cool, do some stretches. It's I like, think when we try do- to identify it as a specific format of the heart, we're really just like worried that whatever format we're using isn't going to be the right way. When really like the way that we do it in that moment, I think is the way that we need to do it. So, you know, it may not be the perfectly morally right. Everybody else might not like it. It might not be the right decision. Right, right. right. So, like, so thinking it goes the right place from our own hearts. So I can decision, I guess, in that dynamic, trying to trying to parse my own nuances internally. Right. So a lot of a lot of my a lot of my talking is trying to process my own thought processes, and it's nice to have <laughs> you know people that to mirror things off of. Um, so you know, like options, like practically that came to me in very subtle ways. And like, I feel like trillions of a second sometimes. Some of this is like really trying to slow down what seemed to happen in my, if I could put logic in a linear time between when I made the decision and when I was presented with that decision, even in my own awareness. Yeah. And so, <clears throat> so I got, I can smoke a cigarette, do some stretches. I love being in the sun. It just feels great. I'm happy to just they wind the air. Like it really satisfies my soul in a lot of ways. Totally content, happy. It's very valuable to me. Just get out and do that. Great. Sure. And then there's another part of me that's like, ooh, well, I want to go on the baseball field. And like, well, okay, why not? <laughs> and just go and going with that thing. Like, there's no sure. wrong. It's just like no. me trying to figure out where what I feel like would be more of the some part of my heart, if you will, or maybe a child memory or trauma or something. I don't even know. But just wants it's a part of me that wants mm-hmm. has a desire to go play on the field. I've, there's no reason not to. Why wouldn't I? And just trying to take to capitalize on those opportunities it seems to find some kind of deeper connection to myself yeah and even like analyzing that statement there's no reason not to so like i mean even right. if there what if there was one reason not to would you do it then what if there was five what no, if there so is ten? Like, like maybe yeah. you should do it anyways even if there's okay, 27 reasons one. not to here's like one. it's here's all then one. you're playing the scales again you're balancing shit out all day long and like that's just took, that's just a big logical process you're gonna do that it, forever and then so you'll decide you're done at some point like when angela, angela and i were in washington dc and we went to the link went to washington monument and then went to the lincoln memorial or lincoln monument and um in between we were in the car and she got this uh, really beautiful um, uh, pen- <clears throat> pendant for scrying. Um, mm-hmm. or, or I always call it scrying. Sorry. What, what else do you do with pendulum stuff that, that uh, uh, applied kinesiology, the yes or no's, the what's that called? I don't know what other people call it. It's just a format divination to me, but there, yeah. Okay. Yes. Yeah, pendulum divination. That's what I'm going to call it. And to me, that's just uh, my understanding. That's your body. That's your subconscious and your body actually speaking through micro movements. So it's not you. It's not your conscious thought. It's just so. So that makes sense to me. It's a reliable form yeah. of getting some form of additional layers of information because if your subconscious is taking in 95% of the data around us that never gets to our conscious mind. Yeah. yeah muscle testing. Right. Yeah. Uh, so, so that's, yeah. I can't call it muscle testing in my world, though, because in my world, muscle testing first was holding something you know is good for you in one hand and holding something that you're wondering if it's good for you in the other hand and then observing that reaction to see whether or not that thing is good for you. Like, so I already have a thing for that. But I see there's a crossover, especially when you're talking like hypnosis because you can create these idiomotor responses. You can even code those idiomotor responses through basically the suggestion to their to their subconscious mind. And then their subconscious will respond to you through like little twitches and stuff in those places. So 
right. I think the subconscious would probably be projecting anyways. Like, even yes. if you just hold something there, it's the flipping the coin thing again, right? Like, in a certain way, when you flip the coin, you already actually know which okay. one All you right. want, right. you know? Okay, so let's 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 fill this out together because I was processing through this in, in a way, and I think you know. Anyway, we'll see how that bounces off you. So, um, so we were scrying about certain things, and one of them I said, okay, ask if we because we didn't know if it was closed. We thought the money might have been closed. Every the whole place was closed um, to the public. But you could park on the street and walk in, but the main parking spots, all that stuff, was closed, and so people couldn't get on. And um, uh, so we didn't know if we'd get in there. So she's crying and said yes, which was great. I said, I said, ask if I'm going to be able to get up on Lincoln's lap because that's what I wanted to do. I want to get mm-hmm. up on his lap, right? For whatever my own reasons are, like I want to get up there. And, um, and it said no, right? And I'm like, well, all right. So the way I assessed that in the moment, I was like a little bummed, like, all right, I guess, you know, but I'm like, okay, it, it, my, if this is from my subconscious or her subconscious, it's more aware of even if I'm not consciously think about it, there's probably security cameras everywhere, there's probably security guards, there's probably not a lap, blah, 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 blah. Okay, so it's actually probably a most probable answer. It just makes sense to sure. me in that dynamic. And that's what's being communicated, if you will. Okay, but as we're approaching it, I'm like, I really want to get on his lap. And she goes, <laughs> do it. <laughs> right? It's like, who knows? Because there wasn't a security guard around. I'm like, and there weren't barely any people around. I'm like, maybe I could pull this off, man. Why not? I want to do it. Why not? I'm not going to hurt anything. It's not going to get to break yeah. anything or tag it. You know, yeah. like it's really, it's, it's to be more present there. I mean, who gets to do that? There's something really powerful for me for sensual touch, physical contact with objects or people or items, you know? Sure. Um, and, and so I, I went I ended up going around the back and I sat in front of it for a while and I was just there. And then I ended up going around back, stepped over the, the ropes and was going around back. And I just grabbed it to, to climb up and a security card comes out and goes, Hey, and I was like, fuck, right. Like scared the shit out of me. Right. And so I came over and I just understood the situation. I just um, I said, hey, sorry. He's like, what are you doing? I said, I just want to get closer to it. I wasn't going to tag it or anything. Can I pat him on the shoulder? I said, I really just wanted to be closer to it, man. Sorry. I know it's probably not allowed, whatever. And he's like, yeah, well, just, you know, don't do that again. And it was fine. But it's funny because it worked out. So like it's that whole yeah. dynamic. I feel like the way that the choices I made for the reasons I made them to me are interesting in that whole dynamic. And with when when you put the actual pendulum dynamic in there. It's just all very fascinating data to me, you know? Yeah. So much to think about once you put all of them together. <laughs> yeah, no doubt. <laughs> hey, I do need yeah. to take like a quick bathroom break and get a drink and some other stuff. Like my throat feels like I'm going to die. So I do need to go away for a moment. For a few hey, moments. Okay, I heard you almost say it. Yeah, it's all yeah. good. I know the lingo now, bro. <laughs> <laughs> all right, I'll be I'm back in a log. bit. Cool. <clears throat> all right. Hey, guys. Ooh, we can even go big screen for a minute. Fancy. Cool. Um, okay, so what is something that I was interested in talking about? Unless someone's gotten something in the chat. We can go with that, too. Um. Them here. Oh, this is one of the books I was mentioning yesterday, or booklets. Uh, God, man, the Word made flesh. Uh, Dr. George Carey. That's what I can remember. It's printed in uh, 1920, so it's a year off. Um, but this is the one that goes through and breaks down the metaphors and the paradigms between, like, well, here. Why don't I just randomly interject this and and always leaving or always gone? We'll do a little reading time. <laughs> by the way that is definitely something i'm going to be doing um what's up joseph Detz? what's up man how's it going 
uh, I'm going to be doing videos where I'm going to read through like the Essene Gospel piece and just kind of probably just have my own organic commentary on it um, in the moment and some different things. I wanted to do it for a very, very long time. And I have videos on here before the podcast started, some with me and Nate, uh, my coworker and one of my best friends. And then um, uh, some with me and my father, me and my father and my brother. And um, talking about what we believe, different belief systems. <laughs> that was a really cool conversation. Uh, and then some other ones of me just through my journey through the church and me processing my experiences. Um, and that's all kind of just there. So, and I'll be doing other stuff, reading stuff, just because I think it's really cool. All right, let me find this one part. Mm -hmm. Here we go. Okay. <clears throat> this is the journey of Joseph and Mary. So on either side of the thalamus in the head is a gland known in physiology as the pineal on the posterior or posterior and the pituitary on the anterior side of the thalamus. The pineal is cone-shaped and secretes yellow or golden fluid. <clears throat> the pituitary body opposite it is ellipsoid in shape and contains a whitish secretion like milk. The fluids that are found in both these bodies come from the same source, namely the claustrum, which means barrier or cloister. It is referred to as a cloister for very good reason, that a precious and holy thing is secreted or secluded there. St. Claus or Santa Claus is another term for this precious fluid, which is indeed a holy gift in the body of, which, of each of one of us. The precious fluid which flows down from the claustrum separates part going into the pineal gland and part into the pituitary body, and these being special laboratories of the head, differentiate the fluid from the claustrum, and it takes on the colors above mentioned, and in the pineal gland becomes yellow and has electric properties. The pituitary body, having the milk-like fluid, has magnetic properties. These two glands are the male and female, the Joseph and the Mary, of the physical body, and are the parents of the spiritual son born in the solar plexus of each human being, commencing about the age of 12. <clears throat> and then I believe according to, oh gosh, what's his name? I don't know, but I think it's when the, the moon is in your sun sign. And during those three days, that that's when the, the secretion is at the apex point. And so if you're, as long as your cerebral spinal fluid isn't too acidic, your body isn't too acidic, and that's where the seven deadly sins actually come from, it's, it literally kills your life when you spill your seed on the ground as a man too often. It's a bioelectric fluid that you're having leave your body and not recycle as it's as it's designed to normally. We just weren't taught that. Um, gluttony or uh, debauchery or alcohol or certain different things because of what it does to your physiological state. And it gets in here and it'll show that if we would just not sin in that way, so not like hinder our bodies, especially during these times, that literally no sickness or disease would overtake us and we'd live for hundreds of years, which lines up with the other text too. <clears throat> these two glands are the male and female, the Joseph and the Mary of the physical body, and are the parents of the spiritual son. I already did that <laughs> at the age of 12. This yellow and white material, which is the milk and honey referred to in the Bible, the children of Israel having been given the promise of a return to this land flowing with milk and honey, at last reaches the solar plexus via the semi-lunar lunar ganglia, the Bethlehem of the physical body. In Hebrew, Bethlehem means house, Beth of, or bread, of, uh, house of bread, Lahaim bread. I am the bread of life, said the allegorical Jesus. And the solar plexus is the thimble-shaped depression, a cave or a manger, and in this is deposited the psycho, the 
the psychophysical seed or holy child born of this immaculate conception. The psychophysical seed is also called fish, as it has the odor of a fish and is formed in the midst of the waters, the pure water. Jesus is a fish in the midst of the waters, said St. Augustine. Before birth, the human fetus floats like a fish in the fluids by which it is surrounded. And as it is with the child formed on the generative plane, so it is with the spiritual child born in the solar plexus, the Bethlehem. Joseph and Mary, by furnishing the material for the spiritual child, which was to redeem the child or body formed in generation, paid the symbolic redemption money. Holy Ghost, Greek for breath, the pneuma, the breath descended and the pneumogastric nerve into the solar center, enters the manger where Joseph and Mary are, <clears throat> and where is Jesus, the seed, literally conceived by the Holy Spirit. Cool shit, huh? All right, hold on, there's, there's more. It's really good. <clears throat> Zach still AFK. There is an automatic procedure within the human body, which if not interfered with, will do away with sickness, trouble, sorrow, and death as stated in the Bible. Truly mankind or the natural man seeks many ways and means to prevent the upright, perfect, autom automatic way from accomplishing that whereunto it was sent. The natural man forever seeks pleasurable sensation, which is at enmity with God, physical sensation, the pleasures of sin for a season, or limited duration, referred to by Paul, are under the law or below the solar plexus. Hence, he that is led by the Spirit is not under the law. The 21st letter of the Hebrew alphabet, Shin, or Shin, lacks one of the complete alphabet, Tav, which is the 22nd letter, meaning the cross. Herewith are we are given a few of the Greek and Hebrew characters that have been translated, Sin, or falling short. And he goes into some of the Hebrew different words. In Greek, we find the word written as hamartia, and some other words. Any act coming under the meaning of sin retards or prevents the autonomic action of the seed, which, if not interfered with, lifts up a portion, or one-tenth, or tithe, of the life essence, oil, or secretion, that constantly flows down the spinal cord, a straight and narrow way, This tra and transmutes it, thus increasing its power manyfold and perpetuating the body indefinitely or until the ego desires to dissolve it by rates of motion set in action by its inherent will. What a fascinating, I agree, I think it's super profound. <laughs> yeah, was, there's a little bit more, it's so good. And to me, this is what a great way to help connect uh, all the dynamics in the Bible to our actual physiology and things believed way beyond that, you know? And astrology and understanding those things. So, but let the reader observe. So this is okay. But let the reader observe that each of the sixty-six books, as well as an almost countless number of ancient books of all the races and languages, teach the same mathematical and physiological facts. What a way to say that, right? Sorry, it's not just metaphor. Like, all right. He says, man has turned the mighty power he possesses to every object and principle of force in the universe except himself, the greatest miracle of all. When man focuses his divine thinking lens upon himself, he will realize that he is an epitome of ultimate cosmic energy. Then the heavens will roll together as a scroll and reveal the real man as the Lamb of God that taketh away the sins of the world. I'm going to read this, uh, this part again because I wrote it, rewrote it. Man has turned the mighty power he possesses to every object, object and principle of force in the universe except himself, the greatest miracle of all. 
when man focuses his divine thinking lens upon himself, he will realize that he is an epitome of unlimited cosmic energy or unlimited potential. It was Zach talks about, dude, that's huge for me. That's, that's such a huge, like I've read that to so many people and there's so much more in here. Just that's like, what a great, uh, epitome of what the the book is and that's 1920 that's what's fascinating i mean come on man this is 1920 manly p hall if you've never looked up his stuff he's got an excellent one i post on christmas i try to post around christmas every year last few years uh on this the solar and we were talking about this yesterday too on the um winter and solar solstice and then the relations of the religions and the the holidays and but he gets into the astrotheology of all and it's beautiful and the archetypes and the union dynamic but Manly P. Hall is one of the greatest like teachers and instructors of our time when it comes to a lot of that stuff, the astrology, connecting it to the text. I mean, he's a master Mason, but in the ways, you know, there's, there's a lot of stuff with the Masons that's, that's pretty shitty stuff, man, really bad stuff, whatever that I think a lot of that's crumbling, going away. That's being held with, dealt with some of the principles and some of the older dynamics of um, masonry were leading people to be better human beings in a profound way, like at the deepest levels, not with the darker overlays and the other things that, that, you know, it became later. So that's the thing. It's not like somebody says they're Mason. You can't just assume like, Oh, bad. Or, Oh, like, you know, there's just so much there. There's so much more there. that's so good. Anyway. So he, um, uh, he's just an incredible instructor. And so his materials are online. They're really good. And he goes through this kind of stuff too. And he was, I think he died in the last 10 years or so. Most of his stuff's, you know, 40s, 50s, or 50s, 60s, 70s. I don't know, whatever. Yep. I'm gonna light the cigarette. Here's what else, something else that's interesting in the book I had earlier. So I saw this flipping through. So using the paradigm of good and bad, being more accurately thought of, you'd say translated to, but thought of conceptually as functional or dysfunctional is this thing that I'm considering as good or bad. Is it functional or dysfunctional to my goals or pursuits or to my beingness, whatever that may mean. Um, and it says here, the way it interprets the verse. There it is. Nope, not where it is. Okay, so he's forbidding them to eat from uh, the fruit, the tree of uh, knowledge of good and evil. Um. Or, but he tells them, not that your eyes will be open to good and evil, or right or wrong. He says that your eyes, uh, from eating from that, that your eyes will be opened, and you will be like the powers, or like the angels, or the Elohim, or gods, the powers, knowing function and dysfunction. Isn't that fascinating? Hmm. <clears throat> Okay, anybody in the uh, chat? Wow, awesome. Cool, anybody else got any uh, thoughts or things they want to chat about or things that are coming to mind? We're almost coming up on two hours here, actually. Let's see. Uh, oh, there we go. Two just came in. 
So see, astrology right now and how plans are currently aligned is very similar to the 1920s. Interesting. I just read that too. Huh. Yeah, 100 year cycles of things probably. Oh, it's a lot. It's lots of cycles. Um, okay, let's see. Like the intense awakening energy I keep hearing is similar and strongly awakening, and it hasn't been this intense since the 1920s. Hmm. Yeah, like I said, some, some 100 year cycles. Uh, I've been binge watching, binge watching the Leo King on YouTube. I, what's the Leo King? Is that the, um, no, I don't know who the Leo King is. Is that a, uh, YouTube channel person? Or kid show? It sounds like a kid show. Leo King. Tomorrow, by the way, we are going to be having on someone, um, uh, I'm just not sure it is. Zach knows her well. She he can talk to her about, talk about her a little more, but we're going to be talking about Arcturians. And Arcturus and that dynamic. Uh, that'll be the whole focus of the show. Hopefully, we're going to get Frank on too, because I know he's had some experiences I've had, and Zach has too. And um, and more than that, I think we've we've got a lot to talk about. That I think it's just going to come out during that conversation. So that'll be really interesting. Very much looking forward to that. Um, well, I guess since I've, I've got you captivated, let me show you a little what's on my wall. So some of this is pretty obvious. It speaks for itself, right? I talked about this the other night. Um, this is more just like, uh, so what was it saying in that, in that book that the, the lower nature chakras are the, um, you know, like the, the pleasures of the flesh that when they're not in balance, ultimately is the, the, the point of the problem. So like don't have sex or it goes the other direction where they become eunuchs or um, celibate or yeah, look how well that's worked out for the Catholics. You know, you can't just cut it off. It's still part of your system, right? So you find it in harmony and balance and healing in a healthy dynamic. Um, oh, he's an astrologer on YouTube. Cool. So let's see. Keep that up there for now. Um, and uh, so this is someone breaking free from the old habits and old patterns and old cycles. I'll actually, I'll pull it off for a second. You know, from just the things that have hindered them and dysfunctional in their life from living the life they want to live and whole and true to their heart and that whole, you know, dynamic. And then hummingbird and going to the sacred geometry, flower of life, which is a 64 tetrahedron reflection that's been found engraved on things that are 10,000 years old, like laser engraved. So, you know, put that in your pot and smoke it. I'm still smoking it, trying to figure out what that all means. <laughs> Um, I actually put this upside down on accident, but I think it's cool. It works. So it's the kitten looking at his reflection um, on the floor of a tiger, right? Him as a tiger and seeing ourselves as we truly are, seeing each other after the spirit, which is the verse on the bottom of this one. But it's flipped upside down, which is just interesting because that is, you know, this is who we are. Sometimes we see each other, see ourselves as this, but this is who we are. I don't know. It's interesting. They have a quantum mind. This whole poster breaks down. We'll probably break that down at some point. And the Lani Akia. Actually, since what else is still in there? That's obvious in here. Okay. Dragon Ball Z. Oh, dude, I still love the show. I just found out uh, two, I don't know, that, like, I think two years ago, three years ago, they started the series again or maybe longer. I had no idea because I was super into it when it was originally out. I remember for me, look, okay, Dragon Ball Z is a super spiritual experience, right? Or, or major, like, deep, life changing, emotional anchor point of experience. Um, I used to watch the show every day with my uh, friend in the neighborhood across the street. We'd come watch it like every day after school. And it was on Toonami. Man, and 
some scenes that like the the newer version the dragon ball super that's come out uh they cut out a lot of the fluff or the stuff that just like when they would power up for for episodes it would just take forever but there's a, a crutch point when when goku with the main character at the bottom you can just see his black hair up top he becomes the first version of a super saiyan which is it's just kind of out of screen which is to the there right and then these are all the different transformations he takes over time and throughout the series and the new series, all the way up to Ultra Instinct, which is interesting. But the, the Super Saiyan dynamic was when he went there for the first time, it was Legend. It was there's a legendary Super Saiyan who will be stronger than any other being in the universe. And, you know, Vegeta goes on monologues about all that way too often. And it turns out not true. thinks it's him. And then Goku finally does it, right? He finally freezes the killing, all starts killing all his friends, this final moment, and he goes into this rage and transforms into this blonde-haired, blue-eyed, you know, like Thor-like god, right? The Super Saiyan. <clears throat> and then there's different progressions of that. And in the new series, which is really interesting, when they get more specific on it, and they're talking, teaching these other Saiyans from another universe, they get in a universal uh, battle royale. It's, that's a really fascinating show. Multi-universe. There's 13 universes. Um, and... Uh, or sorry, 12 universes, and there, uh, there's a partner, like a masculine, feminine, or brother-sister universe for um, the tiger and the kitten, kitten representing inner child, and tiger is knowledge and empowered being. Yeah. Uh, totally. Yeah, for sure. Cool. Um, <laughs> yeah, Klaus says, love, Samantha, love. Yeah, <laughs> That's cool. Oh, look, you guys are becoming friends in the chat. That's so cool. Um, and so uh, with Goku transforming Super Saiyan, so they said this time they said to focus on focus all your energy or your when you're you know powering up or whatever on your the middle of your back and concentrate it there until it then from there spreads out and consumes like your whole vessel and then they transform and power up to this other dynamic, which is interesting because that's what the backside of your either your heart maybe or your solar plexus because it's blonde, which is yellow, and the solar plexus and your ego in a sense being amplified, especially through rage. They're using the root chakra's energy, you know, amoral in the sense, they're using that energy to bring this transformation. And doesn't and when they go to the, the legendary Super Saiyan, the difference is they go to a blind rage. And so it's just like the Hulk, right? And then, but uh, they're able, doing the inner work too, like in their own psyche and the uh, um, karate or taekwondo stuff, being able to manage... Um, their own psyche as well until ultimately Ultra Instinct is getting to a place where he's able to, it's not about training and becoming faster. It's about becoming to be able to come thoughtless and just respond in the moment and to, um, and to be, and so the whole, the whole show plays out really well. And so to me, that's all metaphorical too of our own DNA epigenetic ups, upgrades. I do think these kind of things being superheroes, I think it's all very real, very much coming. It's just a matter of time really i think uh and then you know how do we get there faster i don't think it's about faster i think it's just a reality that's coming and we all will get there on our own time and pace as we're supposed to get there you know but that's something for me personally that draws a lot of my excitement or generates a lot of excitement thinking about those dynamics in ways that i can put myself more in alignment with that reality that i think is very real right now not just in the future but right now so doing the things in my own psyche doing the things in um, you know, see what we've catalysts or uh, diet, just different things, you know, eventually not smoking. For me, I just balance it out with um, I'm always doing 
more steps forward for myself than I'm taking backwards. And even with this, this brings me a lot of joy and relaxation. I only started almost exactly a year ago. And, um, you know, it's something I know myself well enough to know this is a phase in the season. And I listen to my body at times. There's times I go days without smoking, especially when I'm just like focusing on other things, you know, but for the most part, I smoke daily. <clears throat> and so, um, Oh, you guys are saying all nice things to each other in the chat back and forth. So nice. <laughs> um, then the other poster, the Lani Ikea. Let's see if I can actually lift it up. So that's our um, super cluster of gal. Oops, it's our super cluster of galaxies right there. And where it says you are here, that's our local cluster of galaxies, and then this is our super local cluster or something. But it looked to me like a heart. And Lani Ikea, and that's where we are. That was in Nature 2014. And I think that's pretty awesome. Uh, let's see. Some, some still working on the courage to come forward. I'm sure superheroes are here already. For sure. Are you a superhero, Kala? You've been asked to project since you were a baby. Look, I think she's alluding to it, guys. <laughs> or superpowers. Yeah. Totally. Yeah, and I, I would agree. And I think, um, I mean, to me, that's that's not just like, that's not a new idea. It's an old concept. And, um, you know, even Christ and Horace and all those different dynamics, too. Um, but even in the native traditions and in, in the Aborigines, too, shape-shifting is very common, teleportation still to this day. And things like that are, are common human abilities. They say we have just forgotten. And also, this is the time where our DNA is awakening. So, all that stuff makes sense to me from multiple places or sources. And then just my own knowing this and experiences and my own meditations and mapping out my own body and my own engagement with myself, those things continue to seem to resonate. The more I tune into my own DNA, the more I'll have experiences where I remember, not just have a random thought or whatever. I remember things. I reassemble to remember, remember, reassemble, you know, parts of ourselves. else is on there oh yeah that's another goku one <laughs> um and this is the i wonder if zach's familiar with this the robbie body charts where beliefs affect your anatomy and it gets through right side masculine is generality left side feminine um receiving and trust for the left side of the body in general it looks like uh, the feminine dynamic and then doing or believing or belief for masculine it's a lot of interesting stuff there's stuff on the other side of my place, too, um, I plan on making my entire unit here. It's a one-bedroom loft with 16-foot ceilings because of the loft. F covered floor to ceiling with posters, tapestries, which I'm probably 80% there already. And then my, um, so even like the workspace, regular space, will be kind of like a dream creation space. Like, I guess, lucid dreaming type space. Just there's a lot of different concepts and things and timelines and geography. And there's just a, there's a lot of things I'm interested to connect. And so um, doing that and then having a totally separate like dream realm for my my loft bedroom area with tapestries and a spiral dynamics. So you got to walk in. Um, and then I anyway, I've got a lot of stuff. I've got an inclined bed that I'm working on a solid piece of sequoia slab that I grew. I routed out a groove for my spine so I can put salt or different crystals or things in there. And it's at a um, 0.618 or 618 uh, degree incline for Fibonacci. 
dynamic and that's how the Egyptians use sleep and your body operates tremendously better, especially your nervous system, sleeping at a slight incline. There's a lot of cool shit that I want to do just because it excites me. It's fun to do that stuff and, and see the the ways like even um, like Zach was talking earlier, being able to flip around, just to start doing that tonight, flip around, sleep, head towards the east, right? And then adjust my attentions accordingly based on what he's saying and starting something new and creating something new and letting the energy flow just even in my own visualization or engagement going to bed, you know? Let's see. Um, ready to find and hone my superpowers. Yeah, no doubt. Um, <laughs> hold on. Zach's messaging me. <laughs> uh, yeah, cool. No worries. I'll close it out, Zach. <laughs> Um, uh, ready to find and hone my superpowers. Uh, yes. So I'm sure you already are just even the awareness of it. And then in, um, uh, your own meditations or whatever, being able to engage just that thought and like, well, what are my superpowers or where are they and where can I enhance them or hone them? And sometimes it's just like deep intuition or things that aren't necessarily overt superpowers, but dude. I'm ready. I'm ready for the times when levitation starts happening. It's just like, okay, cool. I, I knew that was real. That's helping me understand other things about myself. It's not like running and telling people. It's like, I'm, I'm ready for that to be real. If it comes up in conversation, it does. But it's like, it's not fascination with the thing. It's excitement that it's finally here. Great. Now, how can we do that? Or how can we go? Um... Nope. That is my phone. All right. Um... Yeah, hold on, Let's see. <laughs> Call us said, girl, you gotta hit me up. I'll help you. Awesome. Um oh, Aurora. Hi, Aurora. I miss you too. Oh, I love you guys so much. <laughs> okay, cool. Well, I think we're gonna call it a night for tonight. Like I said, we've got um the uh Arcturian dynamic conversation happening tomorrow that'll be really interesting because zach and i have talked a bit about that um off air i think too just uh, just more and just our lots of conversations um and i know frank and i have and just we anyway there's a lot it's gonna be really interesting be really good so that'll be tomorrow um and uh yeah more to come this is every night i don't even know what to do to close like whatever we'll see you tomorrow right <laughs> thanks for watching um, Aurora smiled so big. Oh, good. You have a beautiful smile, Aurora. You should smile. I like it. <laughs> okay. So, uh, oh, wait, let's see. There should be a Facebook group to go with the podcast. Zach's the man on that right now. And I think that's coming. We've got, a, we've got, we've been shocked that like, this just kind of happened. We decided to go, um, every day, you know, we just, and then he made the graphics and then we got the channel already set up and like, there's, it just kind of started rolling. So that's, that's on the ball and that'll be cool. Cause then, yeah, we can continue to have conversations on Facebook and, um, go from there too. So that's in the works. Thank you for saying, okay. Uh, yep. Wonderful. Have a good night guys. Take care and we'll see you tomorrow.